Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Filmcast, a podcast about movies. I'm David Chen, and I need a hero. I'm holding out for a hero till the morning light. He's gotta be sure, and it's gotta be soon, and he's gotta start a film directed by critically acclaimed Iranian filmmaker Oscar Farhadi. It was like 15 (laughs) seconds shorter, it would have been good. (laughs) Joining me today is Devinder Hardwar. You know, I I was going to say I'm holding out for that Bonnie Tyler needle drop, but uh, I think Dave just just did it. (laughs) You got it. All, yeah. Nailed it. Nailed it. Nailed it. Uh, And Jeff Kanata. What I learned from the movie this week is that gold (laughs) is a terrible investment, which is why I'm going all in on crypto this year, baby. (laughs) Woo! Wow. Uh, joining us also for our conversations today about a variety of topics, she is a TV critic at Vulture. Roxana Haddadi, welcome back to the Filmcast. How are you doing this evening, Roxana? I'm doing good. I didn't know we were going to talk about like crypto and NFTs and like stuff that hurts my brain. Oh, yeah, strap that's in, cool. strap in. Yeah, no, yeah. that's what this is an <laughs> NFT podcast now. You didn't know that. I don't know if you know yeah. that. We change, we're, no, we're no longer the slash Filmcast. We're now an NFT cast. Filmcast.f. So. Yeah. Yeah, we're now <laughs> grumpy filmcast apes. That's what we are. <laughs> I really well, anyway, those were what you just heard was uh, many many of those things were in reference to the fact that today we're going to be reviewing Oscar Farhadi's newest film, A Hero. But before that, we got some what we've been watching for you. Plus, we saw a bunch more Sundance films that we're going to run down. So, so that many. should be so a many. lot of fun. Man. Um, you can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Suggest things for us to watch using hashtag slash tag. And support this podcast. Get exclusive After Darks as well as ad-free episodes at patreon.com slash filmpodcast. Uh, we got a bunch of random topics to talk about today, but uh, coming up soon, I think we're probably going to be doing a Scream retrospective on the After Dark. So make sure you subscribe at patreon.com slash film podcast, and you'll get some of that straight into your podcast app or in your Patreon app. Okay. So uh, Roxana, Devinger, and I both saw, uh, sorry, all three of us, I should say, saw a crap ton of Sundance movies. So we're going to spend a lot of time talking about those. Jeff, um, do you see any Sundance movies, buddy, Jess? Uh, who's a what now? Did you, you see any uh, Sundance movies? You gonna, no, gonna no, no, oh, no, no. I have um, what's called other jobs. Oh, oh, I see. I see. Okay, okay. Uh, Could have fooled me. Um, but, um, but anyway, because so Jeff uh, hasn't seen that many Sundance films, so we're going to have Jeff go first. You're going to open I seen, tonight. I didn't show. do any Sundance. I didn't do Sundance this year. Yes, no, but I did you not. Did, what did you watch, Jeff? Something very fun. What yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I think all of us have have yes. checked out the new Apple TV Plus series, The After Party, not to be confused with After Party or After Space Party, which is the party after space, I guess. Or Search um, Party. Or Search Party. Or Search Party. <laughs> yeah. Or, or party, uh, party Down. Party Down. <laughs> or <laughs> Dinner Party Download. Mm-hmm. Or My Dinner with other. Andre. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That didn't even have any of those words in it. Guess who's coming to dinner? Oh, there's we're no, going. There's no <laughs> dinner. There's no dinner in the word after party, Dave. Okay. Anyway, uh, this show has gone off the rails already. Yes. This is a a show made by people that made things I like, mm-hmm. starring all the people I like. Sam Richardson, who I love from Detroiters and everything else, uh, uh, Werewolves Within. 
Uh, love Ben Schwartz. Actually, played board games with him once. It was very fun. That uh, is uh, just a slide, like name yeah. out there. Yeah, wow. yeah. yeah. Hey, Jeff, Jeff, careful! You dropped too careful. many names. No, but he uh, he still follows me on Twitter, though I think it's probably an oversight. <laughs> But he still does follow me on Twitter. You got to check after the show. <laughs> which, <laughs> which I think means we're best friends still. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Anyway. Uh, Ilana Gra- Glazier's in this. Uh, ju- it just goes on and on. John Early from Search Party. Tiffany Haddish. As a Tiffany detective. Haddish is amazing in so this. Good. Uh, Will Forte. Um, I have probably not watched as many episodes of this as the rest of the folks here. Because I got sidetracked on another show I'll talk about in a moment. But... Um, but yeah, I mean this this is a uh very in vogue lately. The uh the sort of comedy murder mystery show. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Although yeah, I mean the, my 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 co-hosts here refuse to see Only Murders in the Building, which is phenomenal I've never, and awesome. I've never heard of that show. Yeah, yeah, I keep <laughs> mentioning it over and over. So good. Roxana, have you seen this thing? I'll listen yeah, to I've you. Yeah, I heard of it one time. I heard it one <laughs> okay. time, yeah. Mm-hmm. So good. You guys. Mm-hmm. Uh anyway, uh, and I feel like there's a couple, oh, I mean, Search Party is that basically. And uh, I feel like there's a, at least one more comedy murder mystery kind of deal. Anyway, well, that's Will what the Arnett's app- coming out with Murderville on Netflix right, next month. Right. Yeah, yeah so. that's yeah. really fun, actually. But yeah, I mean, Knives Out's going to come out in the next year or two. And uh, also there's uh, the uh, Death on the Nile, the new Kenneth Branagh, Hercule yes. Poirot mystery. A lot of murder mysteries going on. Well, I, I specifically right was referencing the comedy murder mystery. But yes, I know what I, you're doing. I Death on the Nile looks unintentionally funny. Oh. <laughs> just because That's the mustache. not a comedy? Yeah. <laughs> just mustache the mustache and uh, just the all the champagne to fill the Nile line reading. Mm. Mm. All right. Um, I'm, I'm not going to my screening of that this week, although now I want to, just to prove you wrong. <laughs> just to prove you all wrong. Oh, oh my God. Butchering. Okay. Anyway, the after party is a murder mystery. How many, how many edibles did Jeff take before the episode? <laughs> Not wow. enough, I'll tell you that. Not enough. <laughs> anyway, um, I I uh, I'm digging the after party. I I'm not in love with the show as much as I thought I was going to be, but I have not watched a ton of episodes. So maybe you guys like it more uh, than well, I how do. Many, so how many far. have you seen, Jeff? How many? Just the first one. Oh, okay. Only, yeah. So mm-hmm. I, I have seen the first seven episodes. Oh, okay. Um, and so pretty much the, the whole the, series. The hook it's, it's eight is eight that, or actually yeah. the first six episodes of I think there's going to be eight if I'm not yeah, mistaken. But yeah. The hook is that every episode is done in a different film genre. Yeah, uh, I picked and, that up in just the first episode. Right. Uh, yeah, you don't really get. The it's experience. like all the characters. All the characters <laughs> tell their story in a different film genre. Yes. Right. Yes. And it is endlessly creative and super funny, and the ensemble cast is great, and uh, it just has all the things that we like. It's it's. I wouldn't say it's super consequential as a show. You know, I don't know that it's it's going to change the game in any way. But after watching 15 extremely depressing Sundance films, yeah. this is exactly what I wanted to this see. This is what we need. I wonder right if now. you would have yeah. liked it as much if you had seen Only Murders in the Building, because that's what I kept comparing it to. I, I actually, is- I am like on Jeff's side. Like I've what? seen, I know this is shocking for everyone, but I've seen Feels like everything. But Sorry, the finale, and there were a lot of moments where I thought, oh, that's funny, but I didn't laugh. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I It didn't exactly nail it for me, but it's still, you know, it's enjoyable enough. I, I think I mainly I mainly love that Chris Miller is is back and doing yeah, stuff, right? Because sure. it is it is astounding to me that uh, Phil Lord and Chris Miller have not directed a movie since 22 Jump Street. That was yeah. in 2014. And I hold these guys up as like, 
basically after 21 Jump Street and after Lego Movie, I'm like, these guys can do anything, right? They they are geniuses to a certain degree. So I was really looking forward to them doing a lot of stuff. And I guess, uh, was it Solo falling apart? Probably just like put a hamper in their like creative inertia. But they were doing a lot of TV production and stuff too. So I'm just glad, and they dir- glad to we're directing them. TV episodes yeah. and stuff. So yeah. yeah, they did the Last Man on Earth pilot, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Roxana, I think I enjoyed the after party a lot more than you did. I am curious. It sounds like you compare Only Murders in the Building favorably to this show. Is that right? Yes. I think Only Murders in the Building is a more compelling mystery. Mm. So I actually had more questions about like the central problem of that show. The after party, I think it's one of those shows where it seems like everybody making it was having fun, mm-hmm. but it just wasn't as much fun for me to watch. But if it convinces more people that Sam Richardson is a star, then there's no downside. Yeah, he's such he's a amazing. star. Yeah, yeah. he's so it, great. It feels mm-hmm. like the after party of making something. You know, like they yeah, just got together. Exactly. It's like, hey, let's just <laughs> let's hang out. Let's like to make something fun and creative. You know, and I kind of get that. I get that vibe. Not consequential, wow. but certainly fun. Yeah, I'm I'm surprised that I'm like the most. I like most it. I like it a lot. I like it a lot, Dave. This is I, me I saying I like it a lot. I particularly loved the, the third episode, which is based uh, based on like High School Musical, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just love the musical numbers. I thought they were like really creative, and uh, obviously really, they referred. Based yeah. on the beginning of this show, it sounds like you hate music. <laughs> you just want to murder it, apparently. Yeah, bury it, get right. rid of it. Uh huh. I would agree with you, Roxana, that the sort of mystery is not as sort of interesting and compelling as it could be. Um, so yeah. that that is, I think, a weakness. But what I what I am a fan of is, you know, if if I'm to reach deeper into the show, uh, I would say that what it's trying to say, if it has anything to say again, is is the idea of like we're all the main characters in our own story, and like uh, depending on your perspective, you know, events can take on a very different tone and feeling you know and i really like that that idea of like you know it's one of those shows where it's like rashomon style it shows things from multiple perspectives um but it does it in just such a stylish and fun way um i really love the show so Mm -hmm. i'm a huge fan i laughed uh actually i I may have cried at one of the episodes anyway big fan um That's great. And it sounds like there's a full spectrum of feelings about it on this podcast, but uh, I think uh, it's not bad. It's, it's not, not bad. No. No. To, to be clear, no. I, I fully like the show. I feel like you're immediately diminishing what I was saying. No, so I apologize. Yeah. I apologize. I, I, no I no intent at diminishing it. your love. Okay. I'm just saying it, it feels like an after party in a good way. Like they're just, they're just having fun, you know, like mm-hmm. the pilot, yeah. the whole like rom-com uh, setup, like the, the rom-com mini movie uh, that the pilot gives us is just funny. I think really well done and kind of sold me on like what they were doing. And Tiffany Haddish is clearly like having fun here. She is just like, she is the, the genius detective, right? Except she needs her mind movies, you know, like the whole explain, <laughs> the whole explanation for why the series is the way it is, I think is hilarious. And she's really great. I would love to see more things with her as like a super smart detective. Yeah. Well, that's the after party. It's streaming right now on Apple TV Plus. Check it out. First three episodes are live, and it's going to be released weekly from here on until like February, March time period. Um, throughout February, March, I should say. Uh, Jeff Kanata, what else you been watching? I also checked out a new Netflix show called "The Woman in the House Across the Street from the Girl in the Window." Are you okay? <laughs> I think I may have gone <laughs> to a fugue state there for a moment. Uh, <laughs> uh, but this is uh, a show 
<laughs> now I've oh, watched wow. five okay. episodes wow. of this show. I've watched wow. five episodes of this show. Uh, just, just so you know, this is a show starring uh, Kristen Bell, whom I love, uh, and it's a show. Has anybody else watched any of this? No, I, but I, I'm okay. I'm looking forward to checking it out at some okay. point. Yeah. In order for me to kind of explain what I want to explain, I need I I know I'm very averse to this myself, but I need to give a slight <laughs> spoiler. Oh, a spoiler! It is in it is in either episode one or episode two. Uh, Let me get out the fainting couch. Give me a second. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, so you okay. have to give us I, the I, setup I, for the show, Jeff. I've Amazing. been thinking and thinking and thinking about how I would talk <laughs> about this show, and truly, the only way that I can express my complete bafflement about this show uh-huh. is to explain a very specific plot point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So bear with me. It, it is a if if no one wants to be spoiled, I can totally understand that. Fast forward on your listening device of choice. I feel like the title does spoil what the show may be attempting to do. Well, I'm, a, I'm spoiling. I'm spoiling. So there's, I'm spoiling the sort of uh, the thing about Kristen Bell's character. Mm-hmm. The thing about mm-hmm. her character. Okay. When does this thing become clear? Just so we know what episode it's in. It's either episode one or two. Oh, okay. uh, I mean, okay. episode five. I, I've watched through episode five. I'm about to start episode six. Okay. But I okay. believe so it's either episode one or episode two. All right. So okay. it's early on. So go ahead. Very early on. So. Kristen Bell's character is experiencing a deep, deep trauma. She is in grief because her nine-year-old daughter died. And the entire framework of the show is built around how deeply disturbed she is by this. Kristen Bell, I think a very talented actress, plays it absolutely excruciating. I mean, it, it, she is having a very difficult time dealing with the, her, her daughter who died three years before the events of the show. The spoiler that I'm about to say is how the daughter died, which is revealed either in episode one or episode two. Mm-hmm. How the daughter, who's nine years old, who died, who Kristen Bell is actively grieving, having severe mental stress and anguish throughout the series... Uh, basically, uh, we wonder if she's even uh, hallucinating because she's in such severe trauma and it is played with gravitas and impact, okay? How her daughter died was that she went on a take your daughter to work day with her dad, the daddy-daughter work day, and her dad works as a psychiatrist for the criminally insane. I I see, and he mm-hmm. took her into a room with Massacre Mike, oh. who is a guy who has killed and eaten 30 people. And then he's called out of the room and the door accidentally closes and locks behind him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is a comedy, right? Yeah. It's a comedic premise, uh-huh. obviously. It, it is so absurd. Yes. Obviously. It has to be a comedic premise. Inside this very dark drama. And I, I, and this is the kind of thing that happens in the show over and over and over again. I do not know what they want me to do with that information. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It is. That is a undeniably comedic premise, right? There's nothing it is absurd. It's absurd that th- the idea is that we are the image that they want to conjure in my head 
is the mother, Kristen Bell, which they don't show this, but we are led to believe she, or, or the dad, stood outside the door and watched the man eat the nine-year-old girl. Mm-hmm. That's the ha-ha funny idea that is supposed to be conjured in my brain. And you see Kristen Bell legitimately going through hell mm-hmm. in dealing with her daughter being dead. Did you uh, did you consider the show may not be very good, Jeff? Because every review I've seen of it is uh, they don't know what to do with tone in this show. Yeah. That's why that's, I haven't seen it. That's yet. why I could I like I I could say the tone is really strange in this this show, but explaining it explicitly felt to me like the only mm-hmm. sufficiently impactful way to get that across. But because are you a not, fan of the show, Jeff? Here's the thing, I. We keep watching. My wife and I keep turning to each other at the end of every episode and going, do we watch another of these? You're right. And then we You're do. Trapped. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It's it's not bad. It, I just keep going. What is the point here? Because the entire the, the question that surrounds at least the first five episodes that I've watched of the show are. Is this woman truly experiencing what she's experiencing or is the grief from the trauma of her daughter's death causing her to hallucinate these things, right? So the show consistently shows you things and they don't, is not always showing you things that are from her perspective. It's just showing you a thing. And then later on you go, wait, was that, do we only see that because that's what she thinks happened? Or is the show actually showing me the truth and no one else believes her? Because at every step of the way, it seems to me this woman is deeply disturbed and the least credible person in the universe of this show. (laughs) But I think what we're leading up to, and which is why I keep watching, is like, is this show really going to reveal that she's been right the whole time? Because everything she says up to through five episodes is like, well, that's patently false and ridiculous. <laughs> you know, there's no, there's no like, well, she, maybe she's right. And maybe she's the only one that sees it. It's like every other person is like, what is wrong with you? You have clearly <laughs> your daughter's death caused you to, this is, and it's, they're, they're playing it like a huge emotional moment. And yet there's these moments of absolute ridiculousness and comedic premises that are like, out mm-hmm. of a sketch comedy show, not even a comedy movie. You know, I it, saw it, the trailer for this, Jeff, and my wife and I also, we looked at each other and we were like, is that a comedy? I don't, right. I don't know yeah. what even that trailer is trying to be. That title makes me expect like a scary movie, like yeah, a Zucker Brothers type of thing. thing. Yeah. yeah. I know. I think it's produced by Will Ferrell, I yeah. think. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I keep waiting for it to kind of coalesce into something that's coherent. Thank you for and, taking this bullet for us, Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> You're just like really going. Torture, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, th- I'm, glad, I mean, I'm glad you burned five episodes on this instead of the after party. Yeah, know? absolutely. Like this is what we switched it. to instead of the after party. Because I was like, well, I think we're, because you, you guys floated the idea of maybe reviewing the after party. I was like, well, I'm going to watch mm-hmm. something else for the, mm-hmm. for, you know, for what we've been yeah. watching. And I think I'm going to keep going with it. You guys, there is a universe that I can (laughs) foresee where this, I come to you guys next week and I'm like, it all came together. It all, all, whoa, I was, it was messing with me the whole time. Like I kind of can see that as a 
distant possibility, you know? Well, that is The Woman in the House Across the Street from The Girl in the Window. It's streaming right now on Netflix. And that is what Jeff Kanata has been watching this week. Or or has he? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, everyone. We'd like to take a second to thank our sponsor, Trade Coffee. Did you know that 90% of the coffee that you buy from grocery stores is actually stale? You heard that right. Just go check those expiration dates at the bottom of those bags. Even if you're spending a lot of money for a boutique brand, there's a good chance it's been sitting on the shelf for a long, long time. So instead of rebuying the stuff you're used to, let Trade Coffee send you something that's fresh, that you're guaranteed to love, and that you don't have to leave the house to get. Trade sells the freshest roasted and ethically sourced beans from America's best independent roasters. They ship free to you as often as you like, whole or ground. Whether you're a coffee nerd or just want a better daily cup, Trade's real coffee experts taste test over 400 roasts and use technology to match you to your ideal coffee based on your preferences and brewing method. Take the coffee quiz to get started. Trade Coffee guarantees you'll love your first bag or they'll replace it for free. Trade has been featured by the New York Times, Wired, GQ, and has delivered over 5 million bags of coffee. Their subscription is no hassle. Skip shipments, change your frequency, or cancel at any time. I particularly liked the quiz because I'm kind of an intermediate coffee drinker. I know that I like freshly ground beans and I know I like a good espresso, but you know, the nuances of different varieties are kind of lost on me. So Trade really helped me find something that, you know, fits my tastes and the way I make my coffee. My first bag was Cyclass's Organic Crown Point. They're from San Francisco. I've had their coffee before, but not this particular variety. So I'm really excited to give it a shot. So if this all sounds good to you, Trade is offering our listeners a total of $20 off your first three bags when you go to drinktrade.com slash filmcast. To get started, take their quiz at drinktrade.com slash filmcast and start your journey to your perfect cup. That's drinktrade.com slash filmcast for $20 off your first three bags. All righty. Now that we're done with Jeff's What We've Been Watching, it's time to get to Sundance 2022. Now, Devinder and I ran down a bunch of Sundance movies last week, uh, but it's time to run down a few more. Now, I'm curious, like, how many total movies? It looks like Roxana, Devindra, and I, we all watched movies of Sundance this year. What was your Mm -hmm. total count, your total body count at Sundance? I didn't count. I th- it's like 15, I think 12. Yeah, I, yeah. Think, uh, I think yeah. I did like 11 or 12. How about you, Roxana? How many I you think do? a dozen. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So yeah. We, all, we all watch about the same numbers. So mm-hmm. uh, here's what we're going to do. Uh, we're just going to take turns and uh, list a, a movie that we saw that was of note. Talk about it for a little bit and then throw it to the next person. So here we go. I will start. Okay. And, and I, I'll just give the preamble that at this point, it's not possible to watch any Sundance movies easily anymore, unfortunately. Yeah. But Sundance is the festival where people see movies for the first time that they'll be talking about for the rest of the year. And maybe that's true of some of the ones that we're going to talk about today. So I have to say um, next year, folks, prepare like digital Sundance. They're going to keep doing this. It is super easy. Like as, as long as you try to get a ticket, like it is super convenient and easy and nice to watch a new movie in your home. It is not quite as easy as streaming the woman in the house across the street from the girl in the window. Not, as, but not that easy. Almost <laughs> as easy. It's almost as easy. Anyway, I hope they do the hybrid thing next year. That would be awesome. Yeah. Um, okay. I'm going to start with Emergency. Uh, this is my favorite film of the Sundance Film Festival this year. Uh, did you mention this last week? I did not mention this one. So, okay. yeah. And I have not yeah, seen I, this one. I, I've heard good things, though. Yeah. 
Oh, this movie's awesome. I mean, I think this movie won the Waldo Salt Prize for uh, excellence in like screenwriting or something like that. And in fact, the script is amazing in this movie. Um, so Emergency, the premise is uh, these two uh, uh, young men are in college. They're young black men. They're in college. And they discover a drunk white girl passed out in their house one night. Uh, and they have to like debate what to do in that scenario because... Uh, they don't exactly feel comfortable calling the police and asking them to come uh, yeah. discover this drunk white, white woman. Um, so a series of escalating gambits ensue, and it is both very funny and heartwarming, and you really get a sense of what the friendship between these two guys is. Um, I love this movie. I thought the performances were excellent, but the script just is one of those scripts that like it just keeps ratcheting up the tension and the stakes. Uh, and so it's great. The movie is Emergency. It's going to be released theatrically and on Prime Video in May of 2022. So uh, that's one thing I've been watching. Devinder Hardware, hit us with something you've been watching. Oh, I saw a movie called Resurrection, um, which I think is a good reminder that Rebecca Hall is one of the best actors we have working today. This is a, this is a movie directed by Andrew Siemens. And uh, last week, I described the film as uh, pretty messed up with imagery that I would never forget. I could never show my wife and, uh, you know, Hanukkah level cruelty. Uh, ha- how about that again? Okay. <laughs> you were talking about speak no evil. Yes. I think was the one you talked about last that week. That was speak no evil. This is another one. This is uh Rebecca Hall plays a woman who's like very orderly, very controlled. She lives a very like, um, you know, uh, self-directed life. You know, she's disciplined and successful and she has a young daughter. And then she encounters somebody from her past played by Tim Roth. And when Tim Roth shows up in something and he smiles at you, you you know, shit's shit's going down. So, yeah, this movie uh, goes places. I'm not going to say exactly what their relationship is, except that it it introduces imagery that I have never in my lifetime uh, considered. And actually, we sort of talked about it uh, in the uh, in the show today. So it's kind of the running theme of the show. Um, But there is a moment like delivered in like an eight minute long, you know, uh, one shot monologue where Rebecca Hall just like goes into her history with this guy. And it is a tremendous performance. Like it's a tour de force. Ultimately, this movie is kind of like a schlocky B movie where, you know, strong woman has to protect her child. Uh, But it's also like really, really well shot, really well performed. Um, It does incredibly silly. Like some of the plot is just incredibly silly, but they play it for real. You know, like they play it for keeps and it is brutal. It is it is it is just like a wild film. Uh, this movie will take you for a ride. And I think ultimately I I really I preferred the way this kind of like wrap things up compared to Speak No Evil. Uh, th- there is a moment of catharsis in this movie, at least, whereas uh, the other one did not have that so much. But wild movie. Once you can see it, um, I am sure we're going to be talking a lot about uh, images and ideas and moments from Resurrection. All right, that's Resurrection. It played at Sundance this year. Rebecca Hall really having a, a big moment these days. She directed oh, yeah. Passing last year. Um, she's also in The Night House, which is a movie I have not seen yet, but I've heard it's rules. great. I've heard the it. The Night yeah. House rules. Yeah. 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 Basically, um, she she never, she always goes hard, right? She yeah. never does anything easily. So it's like, this one was like, oh, Rebecca Hall's just playing a really, you know, strong, tough woman who's in charge of her life. And oh, oh boy, do things get messy. Roxana Haddadi. Tell us one thing you saw Sundance that you'd recommend. 
Um, I would recommend Master, which is the directorial debut of Mariama Diallo. Yes. Um, and it is set on a sort of Harvard adjacent Ivy League school um, where pretty much every face in the student body is white. And it focuses primarily on the experience of two black women on campus. One of them is played by Regina Hall, who also is right up there with Rebecca Hall in terms Mm -hmm. of just ruling consistently. Um, And she plays a faculty member who has just been promoted to master, which is like a dean of student affairs. Um, And one of the students in her dorm uh, is like pretty much by my memory, the only black student on campus. Yeah. I, I saw and, this movie as well. And like, yeah, yeah, I never, she encounters maybe one other upperclassman who's black, but yes. not a, not an under, like not a freshman. Yeah. Yeah. And so she's a freshman, she's a scholarship student. It's the kind of situation where everybody assumes that she is a certain kind of person. Mm-hmm. And as she comes onto campus, just weird things start happening for both of them. So there are, sort of an escalating series of microaggressions, just the sort of things that you might anticipate as someone who is non-white in a heavily white space, and also a sort of supernatural, spooky undercurrent, like a figurative and literal haunting, like what kind of actions happened at a place like this 100 years ago, 200 years ago, who built these buildings, who worked in these buildings. Um, It has a completely wild third act twist (laughs) that I I don't even, (laughs) I mean, I, I don't think it's like schlocky, but I didn't necessarily anticipate it. It is Um, is wild. It is. It is wild. We will be talking about that twist for a while. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if this one got picked up. Actually, I know that Resurrection got picked up. It's going to be on Amazon. Yeah. Yeah. Amazon Amazon Studios picked it up. Even before it hit Sundance, like Amazon had it. Yeah. Oh, well, you know what, Amazon? I won't (laughs) praise you, but I won't critique you on this point. (laughs) So yeah, so that one is that one's solid. Recommend. All right, that's sure. Master, and it's one thing that Roxana has been watching. Mm-hmm. I'll mention a movie I saw. I think Devinder, you saw this one too. It's called Nanny. Yes, this movie won the Grand Jury Prize at Sundance so this the year. The top prize, yeah. There's a lot of cool stuff to recommend this movie. Uh, I think Anna Diop is mm-hmm. in the movie, um, and she's been in a few things before. She was like in 24 Legacy, and she was in Us, the Jordan Peele film. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's the protagonist in, in this movie, and she plays a nanny to a couple of very uh, rich and oblivious uh, <laughs> white people. Mm-hmm. Um, and in, in doing so, kind of uh, experiences anxiety and uh, some horrors as a result of uh, her job being a nanny. Uh, I think Anna Diop is like in- immensely talented and this movie should help make her a star. Um, and there's some really, really beautiful imagery in this movie. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. It just is like Haunting. really well done, like yeah. really well imagined and executed. Um, I can't say I like really loved the movie. You know, I think that uh, the narrative to me uh, feels a little bit jumbled and rushed as it gets towards the end. But I still found a lot to recommend this movie and mm-hmm. do think it would be worth the time as a horror film. Devinger, what do you think of Nanny? Yeah, I honestly, I absolutely love this movie and I can see why it walked away with this prize. Like it is a, it, it's, it's just a very, very gripping story. Um, I actually think the non-horror parts are probably just as interesting. Yeah. Just as compelling totally. as everything. Like it, it's a story totally. of an immigrant trying to like survive, uh, coming fresh from Senegal, trying to survive in New York. Um, 
it, it is, you know, it kind of shows that dynamic that I have seen a lot in New York as well. Um, I, I think she, Anna Diop is a great actor. Some of the set pieces, like it is just beautiful. Like there, there's haunting imagery in here. And by the end of this movie, I was like, I was just like really hoping and praying that something horrible doesn't happen, happen to like the kid that is under Anna Diop's characters, you know, care. Cause like, it's just, I, I guess anything surround like around kid danger right now just really raises mm. all my red flags because like, it's like the moment I step on a playground and Jeff, you know, this too, like, okay, like it's any, any kid in my view, you know, like things sh- can go wrong. And I'm just like always aware of like what's going on around me and what's going on with my daughter and everything. So it kind of hit me in that respect. I think the, maybe the last minute, the actually very last minute of this movie maybe is something we can talk about whenever we review it, because I think it kind of goes too far in a certain sense, but man, is it beautiful and it's so haunting. I can't wait till everybody sees this. Is it at all similar to his house? It sort of sounds, it is a little similar. A lot of similarities. I would say a lot of water imagery too. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. Um, Anyway, so that's nanny. Um, It is uh, the first horror film to ever win the grand jury prize in the Sundance film festival year history. Yeah. So yeah. Sounds like there was a lot of horror films this year at Sundance. Yeah. 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 Uh, Devinder, hit us with another movie. I want to shout out a love song, which is a movie directed by Max Walker Silverman, and it uh, basically stars two people: uh, Dale Dickey, an actor. She's an actress like you've seen her. She's been in Breaking Bad. You know, she is an she's an she's older like woman. A character actress. Character yeah, actor. She, she has a you know a very distinctive face. You know, you see Dale Dickey in something, and you're like, that woman has lived a life, and she is very good at being a character actor. And also the co-stars Wes Studi, who, you know, we grew up watching in, in everything. Like I think one of the hardest working and certainly like one one of the like Native American actors that we see a lot. In film, there's certainly throughout the '90s, uh, Last of the Mohicans, like he was, he was huge in that. Um, in this movie, Dale Dickey play. They're both widowed people. Dale Dickey is basically um, at a campsite, just living her life. Like days don't matter, you know. Uh, she's just repeating the same thing every day. Perhaps waiting for her, you know, childhood friend to come visit her. And it's really about the like the relationship they used to have. You know, they were not quite sweethearts, but certainly very close friends when they were kids. And now they're much older and, you know, both no longer have partners. And they're just like talking about their lives and talking about their experiences together. And I found this film absolutely beautiful and heartbreaking and, uh, and just very lovely too. It is uh, shot uh, in Colorado. So there's a lot of like natural beauty here. Um, there's a bit of uh, what was the movie with Frances McDormand where she was no Madland. Yeah, yeah, Nomadland. It is similar to Nomadland, except here she, she, this woman is just camping. You know, she has a camper attached to a truck. This isn't like she's on vacation, but her vacation, her vacation seems like it's almost purgatory, where she's just there for whoever knows how long, and she doesn't know if this thing with this guy will work out. And I think the way this movie portrays her life and you know the way it goes and shows them like just being older people who used to love each other or used to really like each other. Um, I thought it was really, really beautiful. So I, I cannot wait till more people see this movie because I loved it. Well, that's a love song. Uh, and it was something that Devendra saw at Sundance. I should, by the way, point out that as of this moment, mm-hmm. uh, I don't think Nanny actually has a distribution deal yet. I don't think it no. does. Um, soon, yeah. soon, nor does sure. a love song as far as I know. Um, so just worth noting, but hopefully people have a chance to see it. 
Hard, uh, to, hard to win the grand jury prize and not get a distribution deal, don't you think? I, I would agree. I, I, I would be shocked if there was not some way for people to see that movie sometime in the next year. Or two. Absolutely. So, yeah. Um, yeah. But but a love song, I would say maybe less sure, I, I would argue. That, that, um, we'll it see, is we'll a night, it'll be a nice streaming entry at some point. Yeah. That's yeah. a Sony Pictures classic. So mm-hmm. <laughs> Sony Pictures one? classics, uh, basically a masterpiece, uh, impossible to stream. That nobody will ever yeah. see. Yeah. 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 <laughs> You'll never see it again. Uh, Roxana, hit us with something else you'll be watching. I really enjoyed Emily the Criminal. Uh, it is written and directed by John Patton Ford and stars Aubrey Plaza and Theo Rossi. Aubrey has really, I think, become a very solid dramatic actress um, after getting, you know, to most people her start on Parks and Rec. In this, she stars as a 20-something who is in debt, has a felony conviction for assault. She dropped out of art school. She's just living a very difficult daily existence for a catering company and trying to like get back into art, trying to figure out where her life goes. Um, and she gets mixed up in a guy who is doing credit card fraud, who is played by Theo Rossi. He offers her the opportunity to make $2,000 in an hour, which, you know, is a huge amount of money for her. And I, you know, I think you can sort of maybe guess where this story could go, but it took a couple of turns that I did not anticipate um, and really asks Plaza, I think, to dig deep into sort of the generational malaise that a lot of us might feel. I think it has a really strong third act, um, which really makes you wonder, like, up until that point, you've sort of sympathized with this character. She takes a lot of risks, but you think like, well, I mean, what what would I be willing to do, you know, to sort of like dig my way out of a hole? It is a little bit similar, actually, to a hero, um, but it ends in this way that I just keep thinking about Theo Rossi, I haven't, you know, like I watched all of Sons of Anarchy. I knew who he was. I did not necessarily (laughs) take him super seriously as an actor, but he really impressed me. Um, I mean, I sort of don't love that the film uh, has these guys who are clearly Middle Eastern and doesn't exactly identify that they're Middle Eastern. That's just a personal pet peeve. But I thought he was really good. I thought he and Plaza had great chemistry. And I don't know if this one has a distribution deal either, but I don't know why. IFC wouldn't pick it up. So keep an eye out. Yeah. And we should point out, by the way, that in a worst case scenario for films these days, there are plenty of services where you can just put the film online and um, yeah. have it, mm-hmm. you know, and people can buy it. Like that, that's like the worst case because of the era we live in. Yeah. That's the worst case scenario of what we live in. But you really want a distributor to get the word out, to market the film, to get it on all, all the major services. Um, you know, so you can stream it on a Netflix or a Prime Video or something like that. But anyway, that's Emily the Criminal. And yeah, as of this moment, also doesn't have distribution. Uh, let me talk about something else I've been watching. Uh, Cha-Cha Real Smooth. This is Cooper Rafe's new movie. It's a dramedy. This is a guy who uh, has has sort of gotten films into major festivals twice. Uh-huh. Uh, he got into South with, by with Southwest. Terrible titles. Yeah. It, yeah, horrible yeah title. Correct. Correct. Got into South by Southwest. Then the in-person version of South by Southwest was canceled. Then he got this movie into Sundance. And then the in-person version of Sundance was canceled. His so first movie is called Shit House, by the way, which yes. I really want to see after seeing yes. this one. Yeah. Yeah. So cha-cha real smooth. Uh, I think this is a solid crowd pleaser mm-hmm. uh, about a guy in his 20s who's just trying to figure out his life. It's like a coming of, of age story with this guy in his 20s. Dakota Johnson plays a quasi-romantic interest in this movie. They have uh, pretty good chemistry together. Cooper Ray, by the way, is in the movie as the lead yeah. in addition to writing and directing the film. Uh, 
Um, and so, really, yeah, uh, really, you want to position yourself to be a romantic interested Dakota Johnson. Like, yeah, good, I mean, good on why, you, Cooper Rave. Exactly. Like, I get it. You know, I get it. Good, yeah. good for him. Good for him. <laughs> but I thought the movie was pretty good, you know, uh, and I think people will enjoy it when it hits Apple TV Plus later this year. It was <laughs> also Apple TV just dropping the huge piles of cash. Last year, it was Coda. This year, they spent $15 million to acquire Cha Cha Real Smith. And this so. is like $10 million less. Then Coda. Coda was like reportedly twenty five million, I think. Yeah. Um, to be fair, this movie also looks less expensive. Yeah, than Coda, it is. Yes. It is a much smaller movie, just a New, New Jersey dramedy. Um, but what I also really love is like Apple's like, give me the biggest crowd pleaser, like what, whatever it takes. I will buy yes. the biggest crowd pleaser, and that is Cha Cha Real Smooth. I honestly, Dave, I I love this movie. Like, there's so much about this movie that should be anathema to me. Like, it is. It is very cute. Is very twee. Cooper Rafe plays this character who's just like this really open-hearted, nice guy. You know, just everything about him is nice. He's so nice. He 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 defends little kids. You know, he defends kids against bullies. Like he always has the right thing to say. He's just really sweet. Um, but at the same time, like there, this movie like delves into heartbreak. I think in really meaningful ways and familial relationships. Like I love, uh, um, what's her name, Leslie Mann is in this movie as his mom. And they just have this very, very sweet relationship that I kind of love. And she is hilarious in it too. So I, it leans more comedy than dramedy to me. And by the end of this movie, like this movie made me tear up a few times because it's so like, it is so sweet and endearing in terms of what it's trying to do, but it also like really hits you in that 20 something lost 20 something trying to find something, anything in his life, you know, to, to kind of give himself some direction. And, where that goes, I think is so deeply mature and interesting mm. and honest, you know, that th- there are conversations people have in the last third of this movie that I think are just so, so deeply moving and real, you know? So it's not just like, it, it doesn't feel like cookie cutter dramedy stuff to me. To me, it feels like deep, deep character work. And I really dug this. I am so glad to hear that. Um, but yeah, it's, I didn't love it quite as much. But uh, didn't hate it. I think a lot of people are going to enjoy it when it comes out on Apple TV Plus later this year. The movie is Cha Cha Real Smooth. We'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Pretty Litter. When it comes to winter smells, there are a lot of great things I can think of. I can think of hot cocoa, a roaring fire. Uh, One thing I don't want to think about, though, is the smell of a litter box. And that's because nobody wants their home to smell like kitty litter, especially as it gets colder and we spend more time inside. That's why now is the perfect time to switch to Pretty Litter. Pretty Litter's ultra-absorbent crystals trap odor instantly. And for me, I've used a lot of clay litters and some corn litters, and, you know, they just never really worked as well as Pretty Litter. They always involved lots of scooping and just more odors and the sorts of problems I don't have at all with Pretty Litter. Pretty Litter's super light crystal base also minimizes mess and dust, and your allergies will thank you. And here's the coolest thing I think there is about Pretty Litter. It changes colors to help detect early signs of potential illness in your cats, including urinary tract infections and kidney issues. And for me, it's come in handy a couple of times. I was able to diagnose UTIs and bring my cats to the vet like pretty quickly after I noticed those things. Cats tend to hide illnesses, so it's just really useful to have another way to keep an eye on them. And another great thing, Pretty Litter ships right to my door, free, in a small, lightweight bag. I never run out of it, and I don't have a huge container of litter taking up space or stinking up my place. It's really a win-win. 
So make the switch to Pretty Litter today. It's just good sense. Go to prettylitter.com and use promo code FILMCAST for 20% off your first order. That's prettylitter.com, promo code FILMCAST for 20% off. prettylitter.com, promo code FILMCAST. All right, uh, Devendra, hit us with something else you've been watching. I also saw Duel, which you saw last week. This is the yes. Riley Stern's movie where, you know, Karen Gillan uh, fights. She, she yes. fights. She fights stuff. She, she fights real good. Um, I, the trailer gives it all up. Like the, the people talking mm. about this movie, you know, you know what it is. So I'm not, mm. I don't think we need to be so coy about it, okay. but whatever. Right. Um, I will say I, I, it was fine. I think the concept of this movie is really, really well done, but I think I hate the way Riley Stearns writes and the way he writes is very much like, uh, you brought up Yorgos Lanthimos, right? And, yes. uh, I, yes. I can, he has a very specific like deadpan, you know, awareness and everything. I think Riley Stearns is just like trying to ape something like that. Like the characters don't feel human because of the way they speak. Like, and it's not Mm -hmm. even like, I think at certain points, um, maybe it'd be kind of funny if some people talk this way, like Aaron Paul shows up and is like this very like matter of fact, uh, physical, like, uh, I guess fight trainer. And also not not really the role I'd see Aaron Paul in, but he's looking pretty good here. So, OK. Um, but yeah, everybody talks in the same flat way. Nobody really feels human. Um, I think Karen Gillan does really good work here. But by the end of this movie, I was just like mostly frustrated with um, with kind of where it didn't go. And we we should probably review this at some point because I'm sure like the ending is something we can dive into for a while. But I feel like it didn't land as well as it could have and that kind of goes with a lot a lot of things execution wise where i think this movie kind of falls uh but it, it's a good watch it's a really good premise uh i just uh, god every time people open their mouths it's just it's torture it's this, I, is, I hate this it. is one of those movies where like i watched it i was like this this was a transcendently good experience like i love that movie and then you know yeah i come out of watching it i start reading the reactions online and like basically no one loved it as much as me you know what i mean um so you know uh, you're, you're like people talking like robots yeah yeah more give it give it to me <laughs> Roxana, do you have a chance to see duel by any chance i did or... not i am i gonna kick, kick, get kicked off if i say i don't really buy karen gillen as like a action actress ah, you know uh, i thought you didn't like her in jumanji you didn't think she was good in jumanji no i didn't i really disliked gunpowder milkshake like a lot i, I didn't mm. see that yeah so uh anyway that's duel it's something else that davinger has been watching um Roxana, hit us with something else. Yes. Um, I saw a movie that was very, very bleak, but the ending has not left me. Um, it's called Palm Trees and Power Lines, written and directed, maybe just directed, by Jamie Deck, adapting her own um, like short film. No, it was written by her, too. Good for you, Jamie. Um, and it stars Jonathan Tucker, who I am like begging to play a normal man. <laughs> Not not a creep, <laughs> not an assassin, not somebody who I feel bad um, finding attractive. Um, it stars him <laughs> as a 34-year-old man. It stars a young actress named Lily McHenry as a 17-year-old. I think you can maybe guess where a movie about a 34-year-old man and a 17-year-old woman, mm. young woman, girl, really, would go. Um, so it is. They form a mutually respectful partnership that yeah, is free of any romance, and, right? Like, they just, you know, sit in different rooms and talk. Um, <laughs> it is really agonizing, but very well acted. Um, it reminded me a lot of The Assistant in that it's a setup where 
going in, you know that bad things are going to happen. And in this world, it's sort of normal and accepted somehow for whatever reason. So there's that tension while you're watching it of like, why are these things happening? Like, how can you keep making these choices? But they're really compelling and you can't look away. And it just has, I don't know, the last 10 or 15 minutes are, they're very hard to shake. That's all I'll say. Again, right. another one that doesn't have distribution, I think, because it's sort of a difficult sell. Yeah. But, uh, how, how bad do you want to really feel, good. everybody? Yeah. How terrible, yeah. how terrible do you want to feel? Well, A24 <laughs> already has a movie about this topic, mm-hmm. basically. Mm-hmm. Um, it's yeah. called Red Rocket. I mean, so. I sort of feel like, I don't know. I don't love the people who watch Red Rocket and don't get that it's mm-hmm. bad. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But this really, it's like, no, it's actually really bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, well, yeah. that's Palm Trees and Power Lines, and it is disturbing. Yes. All right, a few other movies from Sundance. Uh, I'll recommend uh, a movie I saw. It was called Piggy. Um, and this movie is a really upsetting uh, horror thriller directed by and written by Carlota Peretta. Um, it's basically kind of about how adolescence is... The real horror is adolescence and teenagers. And... Um, and there's some other more disturbing elements, but it's like the most effective sequences in this movie are about teenagers picking on each other and like how cruel and heartless people can be. Um, so I really like this one. And I'll just just throw that out there. I don't know if this one has distribution either, but yeah, mm-hmm. that's Piggy. And it's a movie I saw at Sundance and I thought it was pretty troubling mm-hmm. uh, and really well done as a debut film. So that's something else I've been watching. Devingra? Yeah, I want to shout out Neptune Frost. And this movie... I don't know if this movie will get distribution because it's so weird. I think it was already picked up out of TIFF. Okay. So I think it already has distribution, I think. Yeah, yeah. It it did screen last year, right? So that's good to hear because it's very weird. This is sort of like an African cyberpunk film that's also like uh, anti-capitalist, like very strongly anti-capitalist. It's also kind of a musical. It's also a little sci-fi. And it is is just so wild. Um, Ostensibly, it's about like this uh, transgender hacker who wanders through the wilderness and finds this hacker collective. And, you know, they 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 do things on the Internet. And it is it is beautiful. Um, It reminds me a lot of Baccarat in the way that that movie was about community kind of rallying together against the like corporate and external forces in the world. And, uh, you know, try, trying to find some freedom in that. And this movie explores that through, um, you know, um, a Colton miner and people who are affected by our need for gadgets, you know, the minerals that are needed to make smartphones and everything. Um, it is about a community of those folks like coming together and basically like taking on the technology world and also big, big companies, you know, like uh, I think one big line in this movie is literally fuck you, Mr. Google. You know, uh, there's a lot of like great imagery, cool songs. Um, I don't know, like narratively, like it it is a little dreamy. You know, it's not like a traditionally narrative film, but I think it's really beautiful. I think it's part of uh, it's also part of this like uh, series of stories around Neptune Frost. So there I think there's a comic. There's like other stuff going on here, too. It's like a big world they're imagining. Uh, I was just really compelled by this. Uh, so I think it is worth checking out whenever it hits streaming or wherever. Neptune Frost. Yeah, it was picked up by Kino Lorber and it will theoretically have a theatrical release sometime in 2022 followed by uh, video on demand. So That's that, great. That does have yeah. distribution. Yeah. That's Neptune Frost and something else Devinger's been watching. 
Um, and Roxana, your last uh, Sundance movie you want to recommend today? Um, yeah, my last Sundance movie that I'll recommend, I don't want to say a ton about it because I think it just needs to be experienced, um, is some, Something in the Dirt, which is by Justin, Men- Justin Benson mm. and Aaron Moorhead, who might be familiar names because of their previous films, Synchronic mm-hmm. and The Endless. They do these really, I don't even know how they make these movies. <laughs> these, like, I these, don't know like, how they made this movie in particular. Yeah, but yeah, these extremely like sparse budget, really thought provoking sort of stream of consciousness sci-fi movies. I have really grown to respect what they do after being sort of so-so on my first watch of Synchronic. I've just sort of, I don't know, just gotten onto mm-hmm. their wavelength. This plays out like a sci-fi version of Under the Silver Lake, which is a movie that I love very, very much. Um, And, you know, they're going to be doing some episodes of Moon Knight. They did a couple of episodes of Archive 81. So I think their sort of linearity testing approach to Mm sci-fi has really hit its stride. And I would suggest this one. I would assume it gets picked up by somebody because i feel it feels like they're having probably a won't moment. be very expensive right yeah, like yeah. <laughs> you could it could probably be had for a song it's, <laughs> this, yeah. it's, it's a very like lo-fi film i think essentially yeah. filmed in their apartments too yeah yeah about two guys like going heavy on like conspiracy theories and the nature of the universe and everything i it is it, it, i don't know if it all ends you know in a way that, that right. i think is makes sense but it does sort of just end it just ends but the <laughs> yeah. journey is certainly really good. Like I, I had a lot of fun like diving into the uh the mm-hmm. insanity of this. All right. Well, that's something in the dirt, and I've heard good things. I've mm-hmm. Heard good things. And Synchronic was pretty cool. It's like a pretty cool idea. Yeah, uh, you can stream Synchronic right now on Netflix. By the the way, Endless so. is fascinating. Like that movie is beautiful. Mm-hmm. All right. Um. So Davindra, you had one more movie. Sorry, yeah. Davindra, I took this off the list because I thought you mentioned it last week, but you didn't. So, did I mention uh, it? So that's the thing. I, I I'm thought you wondering. did. I could have sworn you did, but maybe you didn't. But go ahead. If I, What's well, the last movie? Did, did I talk yeah. about hating the Jesse Eisenberg movie? Because it wasn't you, you, you texted me about it, and so then I thought you actually said it on the podcast, but maybe you didn't. Yeah, so, so that's you the thing. did not Just, like Jesse Eisenberg's movie. Sunday, yeah, Sundance has been a wild ride, and I don't know if I put this on the list for last week or not, yeah. but I will say the movie I hated the most <laughs> from this festival <laughs> is when you finish saving the world. Um, because it's uh it's insufferable. Guys, like it is <laughs> oh it is a movie about two narcissists just really um going off against each other uh stars julianne moore as this like really really uptight uh mother uh head of a um i think like a housing shelter for families and uh co-stars finn wolfhart as her teenage son he makes songs for the internet you know he's just this really like basic you know 15 year old kid he he gets a couple thousand followers on this like um you know live streaming music site or something uh he pines after this girl who is actually smart and like politically aware and he tries and stumbles to like be on her level but ultimately this is a movie about like you know a very narcissistic mom a very narcissistic teenager and how they like bat basically go to bat and fight each other a lot um I didn't find this movie funny. I didn't find it like super satirical. To me, it felt like the logical sequel of a movie like The Squid and the Whale, which I also couldn't stand. And maybe it's because of the way it just explores like this, uh, this like level of like, I don't know what it is, like white liberals or something like the it, it, it explores a certain level and type of family that I will just never 
uh, understand. So maybe it's, that is just me. And it is, uh, did not find it fun. I, I found it really, <laughs> really, really irritating. And I want I, to choke I, everybody in this movie. So I, I like how you really, just, you really wanted to just get out your, your I, hatred of this A24 <laughs> indie film. Uh, this movie will be fine. To- this movie was directed and written by Jesse Eisenberg. It was picked up like all immediately. Like this movie did not it's struggle. Sort of first, first look deal. With yeah, it did not struggle to get to distribution. So if I'm gonna tear apart any movie here, the one starring Julianne Moore and Finn Wolfhard, like yeah, this is the one. Uh, uh, that's insufferable. Fair. That's fair. Insufferable. That's fair. Yep. And okay. Nanny does not have a deal, huh? Okay. Yep. Cool. <laughs> when you finish saving the world is the name of the movie, and you will be able to watch it courtesy of A24. Later this year, those are all the movies we saw at Sundance, or most of the movies that we saw at Sundance. Um, you can see a full list of the movies we discussed in the show notes. So, uh, yeah, if any of that intrigued you, you can check out those titles in the show notes. I'd just like to say that as as a as an innocent bystander here. Yeah, what, what do you think, Jeff? It uh, it seems like you guys really raked yourselves over the coals watching these movies. I mean, the, no. almost every yeah. single one was like it was brutal. Um, I'm going to tell you. Jeff, Jeff, yeah. uh, some people love cinema, okay? Like, we <laughs> we just really, we believe in the power of movies. And I don't think Jeff Kanata does. I, I was gonna, you know, Brutal. I talked to a, a listener and supporter named Greta, um, mm-hmm. who was saying how uh, she watched like 15 movies last weekend, and it is brutal yeah. to watch these movies without actually going to the festival. Because when you go to the festival... You're hanging out with like super cool, famous people like David Chen that you haven't seen in a really long time. Name drop. And uh, and it's like, oh, my gosh, I get to hang out with like all these people that I don't usually see. And then and then, you know, or uh, like participate in the exci- go to parties with famous people, other famous <laughs> people that are like slightly more famous than David Chen. You uh-huh. know, and it's like there's all this like fun stuff in there to like mix it up with the incredibly depressing and mm-hmm. upsetting movies. And without that, you're just watching a shit ton of depressing movies, right? <laughs> yes. Like in Absolutely. a row. Absolutely. Um, my, my, understanding, was, Dave, my understanding watching... is that you do not enjoy cinema. That's what I've been told. <laughs> I was watching like I was forcing like here's the thing. It is it is almost like a squid game level like rush to like get through. OK, we've got we've got what, 10 days? 10 days to see like some of the best new movies that are going to be coming I know. this year. I, I, like, I, 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 I got to prioritize. Yeah. I got to do stuff. I was watching two, three movies a night. Yeah. Uh, I was not watching much other stuff. Uh, did, I didn't see my wife some nights because I was just down here watching Sundance <laughs> stuff. Also because I had to do some of it for work. Like I, I gotta watch this movie about child murder. Yeah. Hang on, yeah. I'm sorry. But th- 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 this Look, is the thing, though. There's this pressure because... There was only about child murder. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. And you what know? a child murder. There also was one about like overthrowing governments and causing anarchy. It was great. But that's the thing is like, you never know if one of these movies is going to be like the one that everyone's talking about the rest of the year. And you don't want, you don't want to miss it. Right. So there's this, there's this pressure of like, I got to see all the movies while you still get, because it's a limited time too. Mm -hmm. It's like, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the screenings end after a certain time. And also the way it works is once you press play, you only have five hours to watch it. So Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, it's not like you know a movie rental where you press play, you have forty eight hours to watch it. It's if like you press play, is, you have five hours. You got to finish. If it, you right? don't, it kills you. It kills you. Yes, but exactly. you know, like, and here's the thing. Um, I remember last year, like some Sundance movies didn't come out until like December. You know, 
Like it, it yeah, took a so long some of, time. Some of them might not things. come out until 2023. You know, some might not and create come out tension ever. during the or ever. end list. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or ever. I yeah. I'll yeah. say this: I was also because I was covering the VR side of things. Um, I was lucky enough to get an all-access pass, and that is basically Ooh. the goddamn Willy Wonka golden ticket. Yes, because. I was not limited to the uh, the four or five hour window after choosing yes. a thing. Like I, I could just like hop in and do everything. So I basically, it was like a buffet of cinema in front of me. You know, <laughs> I just had like to Marty. like Marty. Yeah, you felt like Marty Scorsese. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Cool. Like yeah, I'm, I'm I, glad I just you like honored this to because I had to buy tickets like a chump, like a chump, like um, like uh, one of the plebes, like like a civilian. You know? Yeah, you're like, and if I was there in person, people would be like, I'm here with David Chen. <laughs> honestly, I, I, I've done some in-person film festivals. I find doing it in person to be, there's there's exhilarating aspects to it for sure. Uh, actually seeing humans, that's nice. I miss that. Uh, but also having the energy to like yes. get up oh, for agreed. an early morning screening or yeah. a really late night screening, especially after you've had a long day and you've also had to like write about these movies and process them and stuff. Like it is... It is a grueling, grueling process. It's, yeah, though. physically taxing. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, Devinger, I'm glad you you honored the pass by watching as many as you could. That's I, my um, duty. It's my duty. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I, you know, I spent probably like three hundred dollars on Sundance tickets, but I, I'm okay. Like, it's, I'm cool with it because honestly, I'm I'm mm-hmm. cool to support the organization because absolutely, I want Sundance to keep going, and I think it's a really cool institution. So, um, but yeah, you, there is this pressure of like you want to get it all get it all done. So. Uh, I thought we were done when yeah. we finished our top 10. I would not be in a under the gun situation of watching as many movies as humanly <laughs> we, possible. We did but... this to ourselves, but yeah, you no, know yeah, what? No. I, I loved it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, I, I also had a great time other than the fact that virtually every single movie was incredibly depressing. <laughs> Pretty. Um, but you, you didn't see, um, you didn't see speak no evil. Did you? No, I didn't. I didn't. Oh man. Um, but we, yeah, we're, we're going to have for... like a collective therapy, a therapy session <laughs> to review that movie. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that one. I'm looking forward to that one. Okay. Um, one other thing I want to mention I've been watching, uh, and that is I had the opportunity, nay, privilege. Mm. Nay, privilege. Nay, third term. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> to be a guest podcast co-host on one of my favorite podcasts, The Next Picture Show podcast. Nice. Now, the premise of that podcast, for those who don't know, is they believe that the past informs the future and mm. that movies of the past influence the movies of the future. We don't have that feeling. You know, we just think there is no before. Um, but <laughs> they believe that it does influence it. And so uh, what they do every week is they review two movies, one movie from the past and one movie that's present day. Uh, and so they did their double feature this week was, or I, I think it's this week, was um, Throne of Blood. And Macbeth, the tragedy oh. of Macbeth, the uh, Cohen brother, Beautiful. Cohen, Joel Cohen version. And I watched Throne of Blood in its entirety for the first time in many years. And that movie rocks, guys. That I don't movie know if you've rules. seen Throne of Blood. Yes. Um, but it is Akira Kurosawa's version of Macbeth. And it's incredible. I mean, it's just like the ambition, the scale of it, uh, and the, the arrows. The arrow, like it, it has a a, a spectacular uh-huh. closing sequence that, like, probably to this day, still has not been equal because they shot actual arrows at people. <laughs> yeah, there was, it's incredible. It's wild. <laughs> a lot less CG like, in the fifties. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot less CG in the fifties. That's right. 
but I I loved watching Throne of Blood, and it's a really great take. It, it you know it's Shakespeare, but like what if uh, no none of the language of Shakespeare because it's in Japanese, obviously, and it takes place in feudal Japan, right? And that's kind of what Throne of Blood is, but it's a really special movie. It's a great Shakespeare adaptation. And even after all these decades, it still retains a lot of power. Um, the visuals are just incredible. So we'd strongly recommend Throne of Blood, a Kuro Kurosawa movie. Was it, um, what is it available? I, I saw this movie in college and barely remember it. Same. Yeah. What, it is available what? on HBO Max or on oh, Criterion really? Channel. So yeah. yeah. So Throne of Blood. Um, I mean, I'm going to tell you, it's, uh, it can get pretty slow. It's a pretty slow movie at times. Um, it takes its time. It takes its time, unlike the tragedy of Macbeth, hmm. which I think just speeds. It's like a Macbeth speed run, basically. Yeah. <laughs> tragedy of Macbeth. Um, but uh, you know, and th- that was one of our complaints in in that, uh, or one of my complaints was like, I think it goes a little bit too fast. But Throne of Blood definitely takes its time. So if you want something that's more meditative, um, that's more peaceful at times, uh, and that has this gorgeous imagery with these massive. Uh, sets with uh, hundreds of, of background actors like kind of uh, painting this picture of this feudal era Japan and, and kind of seeing the plot transpose there to Shiro Mifune doing an amazing job. You know, uh, you should watch Throne of Blood available on HBO Max or on Criterion Channel. Uh, and that and all the sun and stuff is what I've been watching this week. Hey, it's time for me to jump in here and tell you about our sponsor, NordVPN. VPNs! You got to use them. I've been using NordVPN for a while now. Why? Well, there are a lot of reasons to use a VPN. Cybersecurity is paramount among them. Protecting your connection, protecting your information, especially when you're traveling. Uh, I'm about to be doing a lot more traveling uh, for another job that I have. And you go to an airport, you're using an unsecure airport Wi-Fi a secure encrypted tunnel that protects my data and my privacy is possible with NordVPN. I can also have NordVPN on up to six devices like my laptop, my phone, my TV, my iPad, even my router so that all my devices are protected. And the cooler thing than that, I mean, cybersecurity is cool, but the cooler thing is that I can access content from over 59 different countries by changing my virtual location with one click with NordVPN. I live in the US, but with NordVPN, I could be anywhere in the world virtually and then access content from those regions locally. And it works the other way too. If I'm outside the US, I can still have access to all my US streaming services and I'll never miss my favorite show again. That's so cool. And if you're worried about a VPN slowing down your connection, fear not. NordVPN is the fastest VPN in the world. You don't have to sacrifice internet speed for security. So check it out. Go to nordvpn.com slash filmcast or use the code filmcast to get up to 70% off your NordVPN plan, plus one additional month for free. It's completely risk-free with NordVPN's 30-day money-back guarantee. That's nordvpn.com slash filmcast or the code filmcast, N-O-R-D-V-P-N.com slash F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T. Roxana, did you want to mention Righteous Gemstones real quick? 
Oh, just that it's still it's wonderful and perfect. Real good. <laughs> yeah, it's very enjoyable. Sunday nights, HBO. Um, I just really have always enjoyed Danny McBride. And I just think that he does such a good job of mixing this very aggressive, performative masculinity <laughs> with uh, some true vulnerability and a desire for human connection. And I just think everybody on that show is going for it all the time. So I strongly suggest watching season two. Yeah, All right, that's the I, Righteous Gemstones season two. I have two. to bring the show quite a lot because I feel like HBO doesn't do enough to promote it. Um, also, it's right there. People aren't it's watching right it. There. It's right there. Yeah. And there, uh, yeah. W- was there a long gap between season one and two? It feels like the show's yeah. been around a long yeah. time. Yeah. There was a long gap. They started filming and then shut down on the second day because of COVID. Mm-hmm. So then there was a long break and they like entirely rewrote season two. I, I think <laughs> you would love this, Jeff. Like just uh, if you're looking for like a good succession style thing about, yeah. uh, you know, crappy families and uh, messy legacies and whatnot. John Goodman and Danny McBride. Together, the first season, Walton Goggins just Walton being Goggins. absolutely Edie Patterson. You know, Edie I love Goggins. You know, I love Goggins. Good Goggins, yeah, the best Goggins. Yeah. It's yeah. funny, I, I don't remember people really talking about this show. Nobody, nobody talks about it. I, I yeah. wonder if it's just because this is a you know, it's a show that's about a southern megachurch. You know, it is, it is not as sexy as like a big media company in New York or something. Um, but it's worth it's worth checking out, and it's not just like I also think like it is. One of those portrayals of the South that's not that's like very human, you know, it's not just poking fun at everything down here, especially now that I live down here. Um, I kind of see how culture kind of reflects and talks about places. Um, here it's like, yeah, these this is a messy mega church, you know, run by people who are running as a business. And this show says a lot about how they're doing it, but you know, the people around them, they're they're the people who go to the church aren't necessarily evil because of that too. All right, that's The Righteous Gemstones Season 2. It's available right now on HBO Max. All right, let's get to weekly plugs. Weekly plugs is the part of the show where we plug something else that we've made that's not on the film cast. Um, I want to plug a video review I did. Now, I have resisted the projector life for a very long time. And I do wonder um, why, because I've been talking about this for a while. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I have reasons, and we're going to get into them later in the After Dark. Um, mm-hmm. But I recently bought a, I recently gained access to an office space uh, that had a huge white wall, and I'm like, you know what? I, I wanted to buy a TV somewhere. Thing. Yeah, you just found a space. <laughs> it fell off a truck. This office space found a key. Indeed, I, I have. I cannot comment on the provenance of the space. Yeah. Dave um, murdered someone and took their office. It's like in Station Eleven when you just walk into a place and like this is yes. mine now. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it has a huge white wall, and I was like, okay, well, I could spend you know four hundred, five hundred dollars on like a fifty-inch TV, or I could spend a little bit more mm-hmm. and get a projector that could theoretically project up to a size of one hundred fifty inches diagonal. Absolutely, one hundred eighty inches diagonal. If, if you have the space, yeah, and. Uh, I bought the BenQ HT2050A, and uh, it is incredible. I love it. I'm, I feel like I have a home theater mm-hmm. at home. It's like an actual theater. It's amazing. Check out my review on YouTube. We're going to talk about it more during the After Dark. So that's my Ooh. weekly plug. Devendra, 
your weekly plug. Uh, if you want to hear me talk more about Sundance stuff, especially how it relates specifically to technology, check out the latest episode of the Engadget podcast. Uh, me and my co-host, Sherlyn Lowe, we dive into all the cool stuff we saw, including some VR things. So check it out. Uh, more Sundance talk at Engadget. All right. Jeff Kanata. I do a comedy science podcast. I don't talk about it enough and not enough people listen to it. So check it out. It's uh, lots of fun. I do it with Anthony Carboni, who is a very funny, talented, smart dude. And we've been doing it a long time. It won a podcast award. It is literally an award-winning science podcast. And you can learn something and laugh along the way. We Have Concerns is what it's called. And you can find it at wehaveconcerns.com. What's a, what's a recent thing you've covered on the podcast, Jeff? Oh, putting me on the spot. Um, let's see. Today we talked about... Um, Movies uh, in space, perhaps? What's that? Movies in space, perhaps? Oh, well, yeah, that the crazy... Um, uh, yeah, that works well for this show. It's it, That crazy <laughs> yes. um, movie we, studio. We have concerns, but, but not long-term memory. Yeah. <laughs> the, logical, yeah. logical plug for this podcast. Yeah, logical Jeff, plug. But, the, yeah, uh, thank you. The, uh, yeah, they're building a movie studio in, at the International Space Station. They privatized a section of the International Space Station. But the, the one we did today was, uh, was really interesting. It, it's uh, literally about the um, origins of Earth and... It's not at all how I've pictured it. The truth of it uh, is really fascinating. So oh, you're an Earth trucer now, Jeff. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, you, we know that the the sun is going to have a, a heat death, right? In five mm-hmm. billion years from now, it's projected that the our star, our yep. our sun, will uh, flame out because all stars do. They hydrogen gets burned off in the core of a star. And at a certain point, it gets hotter and hotter and hotter, and it burns out, right? What I never think about, I know that fact. That's It's just you know something that's you know, going to happen someday. You know, I'll be long gone. But what I don't think about is the inverse is also true. If the, if the, <laughs> the sun is getting hotter, that means it used to be colder. Mm. In fact, it was 30% colder four and a half billion years ago, which is when Life was supposed to start on this planet, but how would that be? 30%, uh, 30% colder means that the earth was negative seven degrees Celsius. It means we were living on a snowball planet, but we weren't because there were oceans from which life came. They call that the, 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 uh, the young sun paradox, which mm. is if they had a younger sun and it was, the earth was colder, how the hell were there oceans? And so some scientists have been working on that problem. We talk about it on the show. It's fascinating stuff. Nice. Check it out at wehaveconcerns.com. Roxana Haddadi. Yes. Give us your weekly plug. Um, I, now that I am a full-time TV critic, have obviously been watching a lot of TV. Um, and something that I keep recommending to people is Archive 81 on Netflix. As I said earlier, Benson and Moorhead have done a couple of episodes it is set in basically two timelines following sort of a mysterious New York City apartment building. Was there supernatural stuff? Was there occult stuff? Was there everything? I mean, there's always everything. Um, so I would plug my review of it. I really enjoyed it. I hope everybody checks it out. We should point out that in the time since Roxana Haddadi was last on the film cast, um, she has ascended to the role of TV critic at Vulture. That's how I introduced her. Um, but that was lovely to see. Um, it's a very prestigious slot, as as far as I can tell, being TV critic at Vulture. And it couldn't happen to a more talented person. So congrats on that, Roxana. Thank you. And, 
Um, I personally think Roxanne is one of the best writers uh, on the internet today, and I would recommend you check out her stuff, uh, including her Archive 81 review, which we'll link to in the show notes. You're here. Yeah. Um, Also, uh, weekly plugs for this podcast. I want to say, if you want to support this show, uh, best thing you can do is support our sponsors or head on over to patreon.com slash film podcast where you can sign up for ad-free episodes or... Uh, exclusive After Darks. Again, that's patreon.com slash film podcast. You can also use hashtag slash tag to recommend stuff for us to watch. Um, And also, if you want to support us, but you don't want to spend any money, easy way to do that is by giving us a star rating or a review wherever you listen to your podcast. That's free to do. It just takes a few seconds. And we would appreciate it so, so much if you did that. Okay. That's it for Weekly Plugs. Let's get to our review of A Hero. الان برای چون اومدید زندان برای همین نتونستم قصه وام پرداخت بکنم بابا من دایی اومده چرا لاغر شدی دفعه؟ فکر نمی کردم اقدر بی طاقتت بشن دلم برای تنشو کسی نمیده اینجا یه کیف کم که بده باشه نه چطور؟ that was from the trailer for a hero the newest film by Oscar Farhadi. Uh, it was the winner of the Grand Prix at the Cannes Film Festival, and it's being distributed right now by Prime Video. Full disclosure, I am an employee of Amazon, but I'm not an employee of Prime Video right now. But uh, I used to be an employee of Prime Video, and I may know some people who are working on the marketing of this film, so just FYI. All that said, I want to read the plot summary of A Hero from IMDb. Rahim is in prison because of a debt he was unable to pay. During a two-day leave, he tries to convince his creditor to withdraw his complaint against the payment of part of the sum, but things don't go as planned. End quote. They Very sure do. Yeah. Innocuous <laughs> plot summary for a hero streaming right now on Prime Video. Roxana Hadadi, uh, grateful to have you on this podcast for this episode. I uh, I pitched it to you, and you know you're you're busy. You got stuff you got to do. You're a TV critic at Vulture, but you also said. I got to be on the podcast because I got to talk about how awesome this movie is. Yes. Um, yeah. yeah. So tell us about what your thoughts were on a hero and why you feel compelled to talk about it. Um, my, well, why I'm compelled is in general, I just think Farhadi is like our best living dramatist. I think that he creates these narratives that are puzzle boxes and at their core is what it means to be human. And he's sort of fitting these pieces together and figuring out like what goes where how do we interact with our family members, our friends, strangers, and finding new depths and reactions for people and for what you do in a drastic, desperate situation. So I'm always very impressed by how he writes and how he sort of parcels out information. This film is no different. Um, and I just, 
I don't know, you know, it's hard to say that I enjoyed it, but, you know, because I felt like I actually had a stomach ache the whole time. <laughs> That's all of his movies. It's just like, yeah. full like, on, like, oh, my God. Yeah, anxiety. I was surprised at how much a hero reminded me of Uncut Gems. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And just sort of this sense, you know, I hate to say we're having a moment with <laughs> debt stories because the reality is that things are like bad and we shouldn't be like necessarily reveling in the fact that things are so bad that they're inspiring all different kinds of entertainment. But I think at its core, there is a very relatable idea here, which is that you get into a situation over your head and sort of how do you find a way out of it? Is there even a way out of it? Um, But he really creates these very specifically Iranian portraits of domestic life. And I think in their specificity, they reach these, you know, overwhelming relevance and relatability for people. So I'm just always very impressed by what he does. And I think that this was sort of a natural extension of the morality questions you get in A Separation and The Salesman and The Past and his most recent films. So I don't know. I just want to talk about it. <laughs> you know, I want to know what you, you guys thought. You just think thought. it's neat, you know? Yeah, I just think it's yeah. neat. Yeah. yeah. I will say there was a bunch of stuff in this movie that I'm like, I felt like I struggled to grasp some of the specificities, like mm-hmm. the concept of debtor's prison at all. I'm like, I, I, I that, that does forgot. not seem like the best way to solve your debt problem because they can't work <laughs> yeah. in debtor's prison. I didn't, I didn't realize that debtor's prison was still yeah. a thing in the world. You yeah. Know? So I'm, um, I live a very sheltered life, obviously. Um, but yes, it's, it, it feel as my wife put it, it feels very Dickensian that mm-hmm. this debtor's prison still exists mm-hmm. in parts of the world. Um, uh, and yeah, there's a couple of other things that I'm like, hmm, I'm, not, I'm not exactly sure how that works. Like you can have leave from debtor's prison and stuff like that. Yeah. But I do agree with you, Roxana, that in, you know, it's one of those things about like finding the universal and the specific. And there's a lot that's universal in this story, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, Devendra, let's go to you. What do you think of A Hero? Oh, I love this. You know, I talked about it a couple weeks ago. And I think it's pretty much everything Roxana says is true. Like I, I think Farhadi's stories are so so human and so simple too like his premises aren't just like you know uh it's it's never anything large scale it's never anything like out of touch with reality these are like everyday problems that people are facing i love his lens on iran too because it's a country that especially for americans like yeah i I don't know a lot about what's happening there other than uh you know my iranian friends and what they tell me um but it's like I think the lens of that society is really interesting. The stories are so simple and he just really simplifies things to a point where it's just like, he is pushing normal people to extraordinary situations and seeing how people react. And it's really easy to put yourself in those situations too and be like, I would, would I do the same thing, you know, or is this person being irrational here? Um, I think, especially in this movie where you have a protagonist who is, uh, you know, I think very likable, and like, is it like a very nice guy, but there is something a little off about him as well. And you can tell like why some people may not trust him and some people may immediately like start to have uh, issues with him. It, it is, it is wild to me, like how this movie also doesn't tell you everything immediately. Cause uh, yeah, this movie is essentially about this guy, you know, he happens to have a way that he can get out of debtor's prison, you know, and the movie never explains like, yeah, I, I, where I that came like, from. I honestly yeah. spent like quite a bit of the first 20 minutes like confused. I was like, yeah. did I miss, did I miss like crucial detail? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I think it's part of the movie's method to not explain, to reveal things slowly throughout the course of the mm-hmm. film. So, yeah. And the way, like the way our main character, just uh, Raheem, like the, the way he proceeds, the way he reinvents certain situations and he's so 
can casually be a liar, but also like the worst thing you could do this to this guy is be- besmirch his honor. Mm-hmm. Um, I think mm-hmm. honor plays a really big role in this movie too. Um, yeah, I loved it. I, 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 I first fell in love with Farhadi stuff with a separation. Yes. And I have seen yes. uh, the salesman as well. And it's a simplicity and the humanity of those movies that just keep me on board. I have not seen everybody knows, which is his, uh, big one with Penelope Cruz and Javier Bardem but I just watching this is like man I gotta I gotta go see everything he's done because he is incredible all right well Jeff Kanata I think this might be your first Farhadi movie is that right it is yes I'm I'm so excited to hear what did you think of a hero well Dave I guess you could say what I thought of a hero is best summed up in the form of a limerick interesting okay Perhaps his motives are legit, or maybe he's his own culprit. Either way, it's no use. The film is obtuse, a bleak and frustrating sit. Whoa! No. You did not which, like it. It which sounds is not like to Jeff say. I, which is not to say I did not like it. Yeah. Oh, um, okay. It, it is I, a okay. frustrating story. It, it is, is a it frustrating. Is, you can't story. argue with that. In, yeah. 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 I, I actually agreed with everything Roxana said. I don't think I feel as positively about the experience as mm-hmm. she did does or, or as Davindra does either. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I, I am glad I watched the movie. I think it's a fascinating, fascinating way to tell this story. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you guys have already spoken about the way the movie intentionally withholds information from you, forces you to sort of take a position. Yes. Um, yeah. But I found that to be extremely frustrating. I, I, I found that to be, you know, it, it is easy to compare this to Uncut Gems, but you know who you're hanging out with through that entire movie. You <laughs> yes. know, say well, what you from, will about the, the first tenets, scene, basically. Yeah, say what you will about the tenets of National Socialism, but at least it's an ethos. You know, <sighs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, this movie, we literally have nothing to grasp onto as far as what kind of person this guy is. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I don't know. I didn't feel okay. Sorry. I, I, I find um I find his the, the thing that's so frustrating to me about about being uh strapped to this dude through this movie, because you're strapped to the dude in you know Adam Sandler in Uncut Gems, and it's it's a its own kind of frustration because you're just like, dude, you're creating your own problems. <laughs> and in, in the same situation here, you're like, dude, you're creating your own problems. I think. Or maybe it's systemic. <laughs> maybe it's systemic. No, 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 no. You're definitely, you've definitely done a bunch of things that were incredibly stupid. But, but wait, but maybe. Um, so, you know, and his sort of like hangdog, uh, sad Charlie Brown way of going through life, I found to be, you know, not endearing. I found it to be mm-hmm. uh, either in, in extremely manipulative or. Uh, he's a person that just gets uh, batted around, it seems, by circumstance. And I think that's kind of the point here, right? But also it is, it, it, I found it to be very, uh, very frustrating, very frustrating. It, it is not a movie, you just kind of want there to be some, at least I found myself wanting there to be some thing to just, solidify what i'm watching Mm -hmm. Uh, but the point is that there's nothing right the point is that these are the circumstances Mm -hmm. make of them what you will Mm -hmm. we don't give you enough information to actually make a clear 
uh, judgment on what has happened here. Mm-hmm. And I think that's fascinating. I think that's mm-hmm. a fascinating way to make a film. It's just not satisfying. It's mm. like you met this guy in a bar, right? And he's telling you his whole situation and you only see it from his perspective, really. Right. And you don't, you don't know what else is happening, but he's, he's kind of endearing. He's kind of charming. You're like, yeah, the well, world has done you wrong, buddy. I know for sure that he does a number of things that are just stupid. Just dumb. Yeah. <laughs> just just dumb. entirely self-defeating, you know, mm-hmm. just completely self-defeating. But yeah, they, but there's all, his uh, honor, you know, we'll talk about that. Yeah. yeah. But also yeah. like, there's a bunch of things that happened at him and to him and yeah. are not fair, you know? So like mm-hmm. it, it's, it's, in, it's a very um, uncomfortable, frustrating sit, you know, it, it, it is, it, and you find yourself railing against uh, systems and, 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 uh, these situations that average folks get themselves into, but also this particular dude is like not helping himself in, in, yeah. in a, a number of situations. So mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. You I don't kinda know. Understand I think it's why. a really interesting movie. Yeah. yeah. I think it's one of those things. I think, well, I think in general, all Farhadi movies are sort of like this. They sort of drop you into a little bit of a trap where you don't know everybody's motivations. You don't know all the details of the situation. Information is sort of parceled out over like the two hours, right? So you might think you missed a scene, but that info might be coming later. I do agree that they can be very frustrating because at least I always, because of the structure of that kind of story, I think Farhadi is inviting you to be the protagonist and wonder what you would do in that situation. And then when somebody makes a decision that you don't agree with, you're like, this idiot. <laughs> like, yeah. Why would you, right. why would and, you um, not do it, what I would do? Hey, and hey, I'm, would- I, I, I'm really sorry. We got to cut in uh, and just take a quick break to thank our sponsor, but then we'll be right back. We're going to have a lot more to say about a hero just in a moment. Hey folks, this episode of the film cast is brought to you by Mubi, a curated streaming service showing exceptional films from around the globe. Every single day, Mubi premieres a new film from iconic directors to emerging auteurs. There's always something new to discover. With Mubi, each and every film is hand-selected. It's like your own personal film festival, streaming anytime, anywhere, just perusing Mubi. Right now, a bunch of movies jumped out at me, including just perusing Mubi. I see so many cool things. Chuck and Buck. It's a movie I enjoyed for back in the year 2000. Uh, there are different headings. There's new voices in Georgian cinema. Look at that. Where are you going to find cinema from Georgia anywhere else? Hand-picked, hand-selected. Documentaries like The Grizzly Man. Man, I, I'll never unsee that movie. That is an experience. Uh, Los Angeles plays itself. Fascinating documentary. So much stuff on Mubi, and you can try Mubi for free for 30 days at Mubi.com slash filmcast. That's M-U-B-I dot com slash filmcast for a whole month of great cinema for free. We're talking timeless classics, award-winning masterpieces, festival fresh gems, the best of cinema at your fingertips, streaming anytime, anywhere. You can discover hundreds of great films. This is the perfect sponsor for this show. This is the thing I made for cinephiles like you. I know. I know you're listening to this. You're a cinephile. Try it. Movie.com slash filmcast. A month free. 
I totally agree, but, Roxana, that, that it's, you seem to be invited to, you know, stand in for the protagonist or at least mm -hmm. stand with the protagonist. And not knowing the even the sort of um, the circumstance around the, the the inciting incident is hard to feel like, well, what would I do in that situation? It's like, well, would I have gotten myself into that situation? You know, like, <laughs> you know, that's that's yeah. I think it's it's difficult to feel like, well, maybe this dude. It's a piece of shit, you know, like it's, it's and I think the film invites that. Yeah, I think yeah. the film invites that because he is such a cipher. Like to his family, his family loves him but doesn't necessarily trust him. Right. There is his girlfriend who sort of loves him unreservedly, but you wonder, like, is she kind of is she the kind of person who would have, mm -hmm. you know, kept this stolen property if it weren't for him? Like, is he leading her into sort of an amoral situation because mm -hmm. of her love for him. And then you have all the other stuff with the prison administrators, which really makes it, I think, Farhadi's most explicitly political film. He's always sort of acknowledged the tension in Iranian society because of the government. But I think this takes it a step further. But you're right. Like the moments where he's most honest are probably the moments when he's angry. And then it's mm -hmm. like, oh, if you're only yourself when you're being angry, like who are you? Right. Well, and also like everything the debtor says about him like the the guy who yeah. gave him the loan yeah. yes seems to be the truth he, he yeah. has reason right. to be pissed off yeah which is yeah. like if all of that is the truth maybe this guy's a piece of shit yes <laughs> you know yes. yes but then i think uh, the question becomes like are you d does being unable to pay your debts make you a bad person what mm -hmm. makes you a bad person well and like mm -hmm. he talks about all the stuff that he does with the first wife and like uh, like there's a lot more than just not be paying your debts. It seems he seems to have a lot of complaints about the character of this person, you know? And yeah. so it, it, it's deeply complex and the movie just withholds mm -hmm. any explicit uh, resolution on any of that stuff. There's no, there's no truth at the heart of it. It's just who, whom do you believe? Who do you believe? Yeah. And we, we haven't talked about it, but like the idea of celebrity, you know, in social media driven mm -hmm. celebrity and, who who tells the story right like what mm -hmm. is what is the right story who does that story benefit to like that is all explored in here too and to a certain point like the truth doesn't matter right because they're just trying the the prison guards are just trying to sell the best story for them to cover up something that just happened at that prison too yeah and right seeing all those pieces line up i think is really kind of exhilarating too um I'll share just a couple quick thoughts and then I'd love to get the spoilers because there's, there's more to discuss. I did really enjoy David Ehrlich's opening for his review of this movie. He wrote, quote, here's some free advice for any movie characters out there. If you happen to stumble upon a random bag full of money and it's not much of a stretch to assume that you might someday, the very first thing you should do is look up and check if the opening credits are still floating in the air nearby. <laughs> if you see the words directed by Peter Farrelly, you might be in for a pretty good time. Yep. If you see the words directed by Joel and Ethan Cohen, I regret to inform you, you're already dead. But in the event that you should come across a sudden windfall only to turn your smiling head to the heavens and see the words, a film by Oscar Farhadi, painted in white letters against the blue skies of Shiraz, well, there's really no telling what you should do. Only that you soon won't be able to tell if you did the right thing. As one, as one character ruefully observes in Farhadi's latest film, nothing is free in this world. Anyway, that's David Ehrlich. Uh, he wrote that on Letterboxd as well as IndieWire. And I think you all have nailed it. It is a morally complex film where at any given point in time, your sympathies might be with a different character in the film. Uh, and I think the way it's told, as you said, Jeff, kind of does contribute to that. 
I really like this movie because I think it does have a lot to say specifically about, uh, as you said, you guys have already covered it all, you know, like what a person's story is and how it's told and who benefits, who benefits mm-hmm. when it's told. Um, and I, yeah, so I just, uh, I thought the performances were tremendous and uh, this really did feel like Uncut Gems social media edition where <laughs> the bad decisions keep piling up the tension keeps ratcheting up and the stakes keep rising and you just feel so uncomfortable by the end of it but uh i really like this movie um i don't know if i liked it as much as some of farhadi's other movies like i think mm-hmm. i probably still like a separation more than this a separation I, is like a masterpiece you know i, I think just, i still think a movie yeah. like a separation is like there's more universality in that one i mm-hmm. think this one feels a little bit more specific to me you know what i mean but i really liked it i strongly recommend it so why don't we get to some spoilers but before you do? Oh. I, I, mm-hmm. Just one more quick thing. Uh, yeah. I think the performances are all really, really good. Really, yeah. really, really good. Especially uh, the son, the child. Oh yeah. man, oh, man, heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Um, the, but uh, since you were quoting th- something, I wanted to quote a line from the movie that I think kind of sums it up. Uh, this is from the film. Uh, Raheem says, "They're saying I lied. I didn't." Then one of the wardens says, "But you didn't tell the truth." Mm-hmm. And then another right. warden says. You're either very smart or very simple. <laughs> and then Raheem says, if I was smart, why would I be in jail? <laughs> yeah. To me, like those four lines, nothing, nothing is said, mm-hmm. but everything is said, right? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. we don't know whether he's lying or not. He's he's like he says, they're saying I lied, but I didn't. And then the warden is literally like, but you didn't tell the truth. So like right there is this paradox, this contradiction. And then he's like, you're either very smart or very simple. If I was smart, why, why would I be in jail? Which is not an answer. You know, like all, that's how the whole movie feels to me is like, none mm-hmm. of it is, but, but it's all very compelling and interesting, you know? So yeah. indeed. All right, let's get to spoilers starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. You're going to see this coming. No, but you won't find it because of course. You're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret. You want to be fooled. I think one of the things I really like about this movie is how it shows that a tiny lie can snowball uncontrollably. Mm. You know, yeah. There's no like such there's... thing as a uh, a. <laughs> a lie without consequence. Right. You know? Like, and, yeah. and you, the thing is you see it happen. It's like watching a car crash in slow motion. Right. Cause he, <laughs> they, they, he agrees to the interview. Right. So they say, Hey, he did such a nice thing. Let's, let's have him interviewed. Let's, let's get the, the some crews in here. And then he says to the guy in charge of the prison or, or one of the administrators, he's like, Hey, yeah. Um, thing is like, I didn't actually find it. You know, like it was actually my wife. And by my wife, I mean the woman who I'm going to marry once mm-hmm. I get out of here. But no one can and, know right now. It's uh, oof. <laughs> and, and he's like, yeah, it's fine. Just say that you found it. And he's like, and as you're watching, you're like, Oh, I just, I just have this terrible feeling in the gut, in my gut yeah. that like, you're going to regret this, that. Yeah. This is not going to go <laughs> according to plan, you know? Yeah. And I do like that. The movie gives you this kind of temporary joy of like, Oh, for like 10 minutes, he's thought of as like a nice person. And, um, and that must be nice for him. Cause he actually did genuinely do a nice thing, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's another thing that's amazing about this movie is. Did he? You, you <laughs> see the character, you see like the scene where the woman shows up and gets the bag back is the, the performance there is so powerful where she's clearly 
just so incredibly grateful and you get a sense that she'd be completely fucked if she didn't get that bag back right um so am i with jeff and that i don't think it was her bag Jeff, yeah. did you think it was her bag? No, I did not. The movie, yeah. I think, oh my really, gosh. the movie really, really hints that that is not her bag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. interesting. Yeah. Okay, I, okay. So I thought but, it was that, her no. Bag I agree. That's a great performance, though. She gave mm-hmm. a great performance <laughs> of being a person whose life right. would be ruined having lost that bag. Yeah, right. it's just so, so so many great like fibbing performances going around here. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I thought it was her bag um, because she got the description right and she got the that, the amount right. right? There's that like, sequence the where phone. they, they like uh, the dude who's doing all the investigative work on this is yeah. like, uh, he says something that is completely undermines her case. Mm-hmm. I can't remember what it is. Yeah. The bureaucrat says something that's like, didn't your flyer, and like your news report give away some of this info. Yeah. Like the yeah. bureaucrat has some details that are not incorrect. Yeah. Where he's like, how did you verify this? And mm-hmm. I think so much of this film is about that gap in Iranian culture and maybe like all cultures between like your public identity and your private identity. And of course in Iran, there's like an additional layer to that. Um, But there is sort of the sense like you could argue like, well, she, she very compellingly told us that like, her family maybe i picked up on this more and it's not explicit but like her family is like addicted to drugs which is like a very widespread problem in iran and so she's like saving this money as a means to get out you couldn't like call her male family members who are the ones spending her money and be like oh hey is this your money you know what i mean <laughs> so it's like there everything has like an additional side and i think jeff is right that the bureaucrat says something that's like but you didn't verify it and she could have just taken the info from what you said mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so but r- regardless you know <laughs> regardless of whether she's telling the truth or not right <laughs> it's clearly done to make it look like he's doing like a nice thing well yeah. also also in your favor i should add is the fact that she completely vanishes into the night you know exactly. <laughs> she sees him she sees him again you know later on and like she's eyeing him when he is at that, uh, whatever that office is. No, I don't. I think yeah. that's a different character. No, that? that's a different character. Okay. Yeah, that's yeah. a different character who like is who is saved by the charity. But it, yeah, I initially made that mistake too. I thought it okay. was that it was that character that got the money. But it's like, a different why would she be spe- spending so much spe- like really keeping an eye on him and also waiting to see what happens? No, it's it's what? a completely different character that okay. like a charity decides to save instead okay. or help instead of him. Oh, okay, but, she was the one yeah. that they were trying to help. Okay, yeah, gotcha. exactly, exactly. My so, thought was that she was connected with the prisoner who, in the beginning, is mm. like you're an idiot, and the prison is using you to cover up like the right. suicide problem. Right, mm-hmm. right. Mm. Yeah, interesting. So anyway, um, so he he kind of tells a small lie, and he doesn't. It's very innocuous, and then like. But and I'm like at at any given point in the first hour, I thought this is still salvageable. Yeah, you know, like yeah. you could, this is still, it's still good. good. It's still good. good. And then and then he brings his girlfriend in to the office to like pretend to be the woman that found it. I'm like, yeah, this guy is fucked. Like, there's no way he's getting out of this. Well, like, too too far yeah. on yeah. too close yeah. to the sun. Yeah. Yes. Before that, yeah. he goes to the the dude's place and gets into a fight and gets locked in that room. It's like yeah. you fucking idiot. Come on! Yeah. No, 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 no! I'm talking, that, that happens after he goes. After. He goes to. Is that after? He goes to yeah. the office because he he has that job, and the the guy in the job is like, "Hey, I think you're lying. There's mm-hmm. some social media chatter that you're lying. Prove that this is true." And then so he brings his girlfriend into the office to prove yeah. that it's true. I thought that was after that, but no, no, no because no, they no. identify her as in the video of the fight, 
as yes. the woman who was there before. Right. Inc- exactly. Incredibly exactly. stupid Amazing. move. Amazing. Incredibly <laughs> stupid move to bring but your yeah, girlfriend. When he brings in. her into the office, I'm like, he yeah. is fucked. Like, the there's one, no way you were on out TV. Of Everyone in your country watched you on TV. <laughs> you want to marry this woman? You you moron. <laughs> It's it's a true testament to not solving the problem immediately in front yeah. of you. Maybe, maybe taking... not the sharpest uh, cookie, you know. Yeah, like... well, that's the thing. I, I mean, <laughs> even like the the guy's like, well, you know, just tell it exactly how how it was, and it's not a big deal if you sit, you know. And then you cut to him like on the thing. He's like, "Here's where I found it. It was a bright sunny day." He's like embellishing all the lies, you know. Yeah. I let yeah. the guy that recruiter guy is like fucking Columbo. Right, he is just like <laughs> doesn't add up, buddy. Yeah. He's, he's the amount it all that I apart. that guy. He, he comes off I as a total that man. Oh, I'm yeah. sorry, Roxanne. What were you saying? No, I was just gonna say he sucks. I hate that guy. Yeah, yeah well, that's what I was gonna say. He comes off. He comes off as a total douchebag, but like in his movie, he's he's awesome because he's he's, like, he, yeah. he's literally saying the truth to everybody. You know, he's mm-hmm. he's right about everything. Yeah. Why don't I have any friends? I don't know, but I'm right. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. I, I love the scene with the taxi driver, though, where the taxi driver basically tells the bureaucrat, mm-hmm. like, why are you yeah. giving this guy a hard time? Mm-hmm. Like, what is the worst thing that would happen if you just let his story right. slide? Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think the movie, like, continuously asks that question. Like, what is the real harm done? But um, if he is this- lying, I mean, if he is, if he did do this for literally just to get out of jail, there's something morally repugnant about that, right? I mean, if it's to correct, we we just don't know the circumstances of him actually being put in jail. We don't know if that's a, a if he is wronged in that situation, right? What do you mean? We don't like the, the original debt way. that he is in jail yeah. because of. We have no idea about mm-hmm. any of the circumstances around that. We don't know if well, he, well, he started a business. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. He he started a business, borrowed some money from a loan shark. It sounds like mm-hmm. right, and then couldn't pay it back and yeah then, the like, brother-in-law yeah paid I that mean, off and had to sell off a bunch of stuff for that and yeah yeah so the brother-in-law had to like sell off a bunch of stuff and like he gives up the dot the dowry of the daughter that we see right like, the daughter who is like you've ruined my family's life or whatever mm-hmm. so i thought that that was pretty straightforward and i don't think raheem even argues that he's like right. the situation was bad and it got away from me but he doesn't like argue the truth of it yeah but we don't know so what what decisions he made that led him right. to financial ruin, right? If, or if those yeah, things yeah. were out of his control. We don't have any insight into whether he put himself in this hole or not, you know? Like was was there recklessness? Was there yes. stupidity? Right. Was it ignorance? You know, like what, why? So, yeah, it actually reminds me a little bit of Michael Clayton. I don't know if you mm-hmm. remember that yeah. movie, but like that character ends up in like massive debt and you just, you have no idea like why it happened that way, you know? I do, I do think the but, guy that brings his girlfriend in to pretend she's the woman who found the bag is... <laughs> Probably, yeah. Probably not the best businessman in town. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Probably, right. So, like, so the entire premise of sort of like rooting for him to get out of jail. I mean, obviously, I wouldn't want anybody to be in debtor's prison. That's a shitty situation. But like, <laughs> it, it the sort of movie asks you to to root for this guy, and and through the whole thing, I'm like, yeah, but <laughs> you know, it's that. <laughs> It's that that sketch from uh, from uh, I think you should leave. You know the season two where he's like, "I used to be a piece of shit. I used to be a piece of shit. I'm not a piece of shit anymore. I used to be a piece of shit." See, it's so interesting to me because so when I interviewed Farhadi, he is very strongly of the opinion that like once you meet Bahram, like once you meet the lender, mm-hmm. that like 
at that point, it becomes like 50 50. Absolutely. And you you root for each of them. So, yeah, like I think Raheem, it's like he gets the first hour to have our perspective. And then as soon as soon as you meet Bahram, you're like, oh no, what? Yeah, maybe maybe Raheem sucks. Like, <laughs> totally, <laughs> the yeah. worst well, brother-in-law. Yeah, it's like meeting the Bond villain of a movie and being like, you know, that guy makes some pretty good points. You know, like <laughs> yeah, he, yeah. He, that he's guy you've been like, following has killed yeah. all my friends. You know, I kind of <laughs> hate him. No, yeah. Thanos has a point, right? <laughs> yeah. Hashtag Thanos was right. I mean, it's kind of a thing where he's like. You know, that guy is right. Like, why do we recognize, you know, we don't recognize people for doing like daily acts of decency. Mm-hmm. Right. But because this guy's thing is a little bit flashy and he yeah. has a little bit of media attention, right. you know, all of a sudden he's, he's a hero. Uh, right? He's Frank Grimes in it up, basically. And he, exactly. exactly. He also yeah. admits that if the gold had been worth more, he never would have done it. Mm-hmm. You know, from the beginning, he's like, yeah, well, I mean, he even says that on but camera. But he says it. He says it on camera. That means <laughs> yeah. he's good, right? <laughs> yeah. That means he, yeah, he's he's being truthful there. I just you couldn't have got, I, if I had gotten a little bit more cash, I would have taken the cash. But no, yeah. I'm a good person. I'm a Euro. It's like, we are talking a lot of shit, though, but like, I did still want him to get out of prison. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I, the I, end is is so heartbreaking, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You see him like with the shaved head and everything. It's like, oh. It's a, I think um, yeah. I, I think for me, you know, I, I don't know. Like, there's, this movie says a lot of things. It has mm-hmm. a lot of stuff to say, right? Uh, Roxana, you've alluded to some of like the politics of it, and I'm curious to hear more about what your thoughts are on that. Uh, but but there's so many things to take away. Like, you know, should a, like here here are two of my top lessons that I took away from this movie. Number one is this idea that like once you have formed an image of someone in your mind it is very difficult to dislodge it, mm-hmm. right? And I, I see this all the time in my daily life. You know, People think other people are toxic or bad. And once they are in that bucket in your head, it is very hard to like get them out of that bucket, right? I, I see people who are like, who hate someone so much. And it's like, um, everything that person does is instantly like read in the worst light possible, right? Mm-hmm. And that that's kind of what the debtor in this movie was like. He's like, he can't, interpret anything that uh the main character does uh rahim as like in any way good or pure even if it might be right which in this case i would argue it is to some degree Mm -hmm. um but the other takeaway is this is the takeaway i have like about american culture which is that people prefer these soothing stories of heroism to actual good that could be done in the world right right and right look at just go to gofundme.com you know and it's like People prefer like, oh, this guy who did something extraordinary, this woman who did something extraordinary, or, or you know, the, mm-hmm. somebody dragged so-and-so out of a burning build. They dragged like three infants out of a burning building and saved their life. And it's like, we would rather celebrate that person than look into why the building was burning in the first place. Like why, mm-hmm. what codes were violated and why, why did we not pass the laws necessary for that building not to be on fire? And too many infants um, in there too. Yeah. And, and why, why are there so, why are there like 18 infants in this thing? <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it's kind of like about the narratives that I think society prefers mm-hmm, and, and mm-hmm. how yeah. reassuring it finds them and how they're sometimes counterproductive. That, that, that was it for me, but sorry, there's a total indictment of the, uh, of the charity group where they're like, all they're thinking about is how it's going to blow back on them. You know? I mean, that's, that's what everybody does though. Like even if you're ostensibly a good hearted nonprofit, like if this thing makes you look bad, uh, it retroactively makes your work look bad. 
And then all the people you're trying to help look bad. Like the toxicity is a virus, you know, that can spread really easily. So I, I don't blame anybody for thinking about that. Dishonor is a virus almost. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But uh, Roxana, you were talking about um, the politics of this movie. And I, I guess I'm curious, like what you thought this movie was trying to say, um, either about Iran or, uh, uh, run politically any thoughts mm-hmm. on that yeah i mean i think um so you guys have mainly just seen a separation in the salesman right i i saw the past as well which i really okay yeah okay mm-hmm. yeah i mean i think so like Faraday has gotten a little bit of flack from certain corners um of like iranian expats because they say that his movies don't directly engage with questions about the government um which i think is like sort of ignoring the fact that I think all of his films address the mm-hmm. difficulties of living mm-hmm. in a society with a certain set of legal rules. I mean, in The Salesman, which is a story which is, I think, pretty understandable for any viewer, it's like, can you report a potential sexual assault to the police while they fuck it up? Like, how do you get your own revenge and your own closure? Mm-hmm. Um, but those things are sort of like alluded to more than directly addressed. But Faraday also made a movie called Beautiful City, um, which I keep calling a children's prison, but it's about like a juvenile <laughs> detention center. So like he has sort of always thought about this idea of like, if a prison is like your final destination, like what does that mean when you see freedom again? Like how do you behave um, when you're outside of this place of containment? So it seemed to me like he was saying something more explicit about the way that like certain people will use your narrative use your identity, use your personhood for their own benefit. So we're talking about like the nonprofit and how the nonprofit comes off looking bad. But the prison from the very beginning looks really bad. Like they encourage him to sort of lie Mm -hmm. for this story to, you know, make it seem like the punishment that they gave him made him a better person. And the end of this movie has like this big climactic moment where the prison administrator comes to his house and is like, coaching his son who has a stutter to like be really i don't want to say like pathetic because that's terrible but mm. really vulnerable to pull on the heartstrings yeah. to really yeah. pull on the heartstrings like to make the son seem like a victim in video and so like they are so clearly the villains of this story and i think that's just more straightforward mm-hmm. um than mm. people might be used to for farhadi's films so that's sort of what i meant in terms of like its political perspective like it's way more of a statement and then you know last fall farhadi did put out a statement on social media which was very publicly critical of the iranian government and he hasn't done that before I, fascinating thank you for sharing that Ruxin. that is really interesting uh yeah i'm glad you brought up the that moment at the end because um i think there's a reading of this movie in fact i i kind of felt going out of it that the title a hero refers to the fact that he does not allow his son to be explored or the boy it's mm-hmm. not his son his nephew i guess um, no it's his son it's his son, is yeah. his son? Mm-hmm. uh to be exploited right he, he's a hero because he's willing to go back to prison rather than go this far well every time he loses his composure it's because of his son in the mm-hmm. movie when he freaks out at the debtor it's because the, the debtor insults his son and when he freaks out at that guy, uh, when he loses his composure at the prison person, it's because of his son. Um, so yeah, that's a, that's a that's an interesting reading of the film. Jeff, you mentioned the ending of the movie. I, I guess I'm kind of curious if anyone had any thoughts on the ending. I thought it was like a very interesting final shot of mm-hmm. the movie, right? Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, it kind of st- it stays fixated on like it's it's a static locked off shot, 
And on the one side of the screen, you see the kind of intake window for the prison. And then you see through an open door, um, somebody leaving the prison, getting yeah. on a bus and, and driving away. Yeah. An old man, though. Yeah. yeah. An old man. Yeah. And it looks like his wife is picking him up. And how long has he been in debtor's prison? Right. You know, I guess we're just, meant to assume yeah. that this is this is kind of like potentially Rahim's future. This yes. is going to be, mm-hmm. yeah, something. And so different from Fahri's other final shots because a lot of them reject any kind of definitive mm-hmm. ending. Um, a separation, you don't know who the daughter chooses to yeah. live with. If that she's shot haunts, it haunts yeah. my dreams. It yeah, if so, she's going to stay in Iran yeah. or if she's going to go. The salesman, the final shot is of Here, the let's, uh, let's not give away the endings of all the, uh, well, <laughs> of all the Oscar Friday movies. Here's the thing, though, Suffice to say, like, they are uh, more ambiguous in this one. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, and I honestly, I don't think that those endings, like, it's sort of with this film, the ending does not necessarily matter as much as the decisions of the characters that mm-hmm. lead to that place. So I just think it's interesting that with this one, you have a coming and a going. Right. In his other films, there's more ambiguity and openness and more room for interpretation. There's really not that much interpretation here. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's totally fair. Uh, I'm just going to say that I was hoping until probably 20 minutes to the end that this would still end happily, (laughs) but I shouldn't have expected differently from Oscar Farhadi. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I, maybe he can make a story with a happy ending sometime. What do you think, Roxanne? You think that's going to happen in our <laughs> lifetime? No, because I don't think that's like realistic to life. True. <laughs> Sorry. Fair. Good night, everybody. Absolutely fair. <laughs> I mean, you look around right now, but fair. Um, yeah. I, well, I, I any do, other thoughts, or shall we wrap it up? Divinger, go I, ahead. I do have to say, like, still the idea of debtor's prison. I know it exists in other <laughs> countries too. I that seems counterintuitive. To what you want to happen, yeah. you're yeah. just like is, logically pay off the debt. I need you my want money him back. To work. I want my money back. Yeah. Really? We'll take the guy and put him in jail. But my money, but then? my money. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, one could argue yeah. that that uh, there are elements of debtor's prison going on in the United no, States. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Have so. any of you seen or heard of the Iranian film Yalda: A Night for Forgiveness? No. No. Okay. There used to be this Iranian reality show um, where people could like donate to prisoners to help pay off their debt and like shorten their sentence. So it is a movie about the concept of that reality show and Mm. following like a young woman who is brought on the show to like tell her side of the story. And then a family member of someone who was affected by her actions telling her side of the story. And it's up to you to sort of decide like, does she you know, should she be saved? Should her debt be paid off? It's like American Idol style prison release. It's really interesting and you can rent it on Amazon. Oh, cool. It's called Yalda, A Night for Forgiveness. And yeah, that sounds like a really interesting concept. Um, hey guys, um, did you guys Google the amount of money that this guy owed? By 70 chance? million, no. whatever those are. Thanks. Yeah. Two, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as I could tell, um, and Roxana, I don't know if you could keep me honest, but it seemed like approximately thirty five hundred dollars. No way. Is that really? Is that right? Yeah. I yeah. mean, the Iranian economy right now is terrible because of the sanctions. So, like, the exchange mm-hmm. rate is awful. Yeah. Yeah, and it just is like rough. It's so. It it was Brutal. an extra layer of like emotional gut punch to mm-hmm. to type in that amount into the Google Translate of money and mm-hmm. be like. It's thirty five or it's thirty two hundred dollars. So it's something yeah, that yeah. 
it's not an insignificant amount of money. I'm not saying like that's mm-hmm. nothing, but it's not a person's life. You and in I mean? America, like, like that, that is the bail issue right now too, is that yeah. for a lot of people, especially drug offenses, like your bail is set way too high to, to do it. That is true. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's yeah, kind yeah, of, yeah. Yeah. We do have debtors prison. Yeah. Very, very similar, very similar idea, but yeah, it, it just is like, n- nobody should have their life taken away from them because of like a couple thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. That, that's my main reason for being like, yeah, I, he may not be the nicest guy. He may owe this guy a lot of money. He may have ruined a family's life, but I don't know if anybody just, I'm not, not a fan of prisons in general, you know? So yeah. especially for something like this, where he also, it seems like very minimum security. Like he just wa- walks out on his day off prison. Yeah. I mean, that's another back. thing with yeah. like debtors prison in Iran is that it is, it's sort of this sense of like, there are different levels of prison. And mm-hmm. so it is, again, it comes back to your honor. Would you be the kind of person that wouldn't come back? Right. Because that would be unforgivable. That would ruin your family. So, yeah. All righty. Well, shall we wrap it up there? Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of the day, it's pretty impressive that Oscar Farhadi made a movie. Please, please make more movies. Yeah. Yes. For sure. For sure. <laughs> All right, you can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Our uh, theme song comes courtesy of Tim McEwen from The Midnight. Check out his new project, Varsity Blue. Our spoiler bumper comes from filmmaker and YouTuber Kyle Corwith. Our weekly plugs music comes from Noah Ross. This episode was edited by Beatty Zhang. Stay tuned to hear what we'll be discussing next week. In the meantime, Roxana Haddadi, I want to say a big thank you again. I hope... You enjoyed yourself, and thank you for dealing with our silliness today. <laughs> I did. Thank you guys for having me on. Check out Roxana's work over at Vulture. Uh, I think it's awesome, and uh, we'll link to some of it in the show notes. Next week, we'll be reviewing Nightmare Alley, the new Guillermo del Toro movie that's going to be streaming on HBO Max and Hulu. So it should be a lot of fun to have that conversation. All right, that's it for today. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you later. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. 
If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.